0: Welcome to the Life of Tea podcast, where we discuss tea as self-cultivation, all the life lessons, zen, awakening, and insights that come through a life of cha-dao. This will be the focus of this podcast developing and cultivating ourselves and our spiritual practice through tea. If you're interested in the more linear aspects of tea, how it's produced or made, you might want to check out our magazine, Global Tea Hut, which also includes those topics. If you're interested in the practical aspects of brewing tea, we have a whole series of videos on YouTube called Brewing Tea. Also, you're welcome to come to our center, Tea Sage Hut, here in Miali, Taiwan, and sit a 10-day course where we incorporate all these aspects from the linear to the the brewing tea to the spiritual cultivation all together and you can take a deep dive and immerse yourself and ground yourself in this beautiful practice. We're so excited to have this forum to discuss all the life lessons that we can cultivate together through tea. Welcome, put on a kettle, get out some bowls, and let's drink some tea together.
1: And welcome to the Life of Tea podcast. I'm Morgan.
2: And I'm Janos. This time, our guests are Wude and particle physicist Neil Barry. We're excited to have them discussing Zen and science. And since this is a fascinating topic, we decided to record two parts. This first episode will be a more free-flowing discussion between Wu and Neil about the similarities and differences between the scientific and the Zen worldviews. And the second episode will be a more structured one where Morgan and I will have questions for our guests. So grab yourself a bowl of tea and join us. Welcome to the podcast, Neil Barry. Thank you for having me. And Wuda. Yeah, well, great to be here.
3: So Neil, what exactly is a particle physicist?
4: Um, so a particle physicist is someone who looks at the fundamental interactions between the most fundamental building blocks of nature so for example we often everyone knows of say atoms and things but then at the constituents of that you have protons neutrons and electrons but then you can go further and so your protons and neutrons are made of quarks and so on and basically what my job is and other particle physicists to do is to look at those even more fundamental building blocks and look at how they interact with each other and then also because of the nature of how the universe has come to be and come to now well the very at the very early universe it was very hot and dense and it was so and very small so it was dominated by the interactions of these particles so one of the jobs of us as well is that we're looking at these fundamental interactions of these particles and then we can then look at the early universe and see how those interactions would play out and from that we can trace back our history all the way to the very early universe just through these fundamental scales to the large scales of the universe.
2: So, would uh, how does this tie into the life of tea and Zen? Yeah, I'm. You know, I've, I'm very excited to be
0: able to talk uh, about science and Zen. I think it's a it's a topic that needs to be discussed more. There's some really great books about uh, meditation and the brain, and some of that kind of research is starting to begin. But um, I more want to step back and and you know. Of course, if we need to, we can geek out on particle physics, physics and the relationship of that to to Zen, but I more want to like step back and, and discuss more science in general. And uh, I think it's wonderful to have, um, I don't think anyone can be an expert in Zen. I think, you know, my teacher always said the only masters in Zen are those who have died and the rest of us are students of Zen. So, and I don't think any any, Neil would say that any scientist understands all of science either, so... But as, as as a you know it's wonderful to have a student of Zen who can sit down with a student of science and we can discuss um, some some of the ways that they're uh, similar and concordant and, and some of the ways where they where they go apart as well because they do um, and and I think it's a it's a really healthy discussion especially and that's where I want to start is that I uh, I feel that a lot of um, um, spiritual practitioners and spiritual traditions now in the world have a kind of like anti-science attitude. And, and, I, and I find that to be incredibly foolish um, as, as, and kind of hypocritical, especially when the, those people that express that kind of anti-science viewpoint, uh, they themselves then utilize in their lives a tremendous amount of the technology that is a product of that scientific research. And and that technology ha- has benefited their life in in so many ways. So, you know, when I broke my knee, I went and had surgery, and that surgery was only possible because of the technology uh, created through the scientific method. And and if I lived hundreds of years ago, you know, it would have been a you know uh, probably had to have my leg amputated. Um, and so, you know, I'm very grateful that I did not have my leg amputated, and uh, etc. and I think it's important to state that that uh, to, you know, understand this universe and the way that it works, I, I don't think so far human beings have come up with a better method than the scientific method for exploring and understanding reality. Um, maybe there is a better method out there in our future, but so far, certainly, this is the, the pinnacle. And... Um, so I, I don't think it's, it's great to, to uh, oppose these two things. And I think it also comes out of a confusion because when people say uh, that they are opposed to science, it's if you actually like then start interrogating them further, what you find usually is that it's not the scientific method or science that they're opposed to. It's more some particular like abusive technology or abusive research that they feel, um, you know, that, that that has ethical implications that they, they don't agree with. And there certainly is that. There certainly is uh, research that is in uh, uneth- unethical. And that there's, there's a huge range of that. And that's a huge topic in and of itself. You have everything from the, you know, the monster doctor of Hitler who was doing all kinds of really horrendous experiments um, trying to see if, you know, twins could be sewn together or like just complete monstrous horror movie stuff but then you also have like the unnecessary cruelty to animals and 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 on and on and on and then you you know destruction of the environment etc cetera, etc cetera. but none of that actually uh de- deteriorates or 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 detracts from the scientific method itself any more than all the wonky stuff that's not done in the name of zen Right, so now, like the word Zen in the West has just become this like a very loose, fluffy catchword for like anything mindful or spiritual. So you have like the Zen of bicycle riding and the Zen of <laughs> like you know, but just the Zen of like origami. Or and certainly those things could have Zen, but it's often treated in like in a way that doesn't really have Zen. And then you know, so all these 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 aspects are are the same. It's kind of like you know people. The first teachings of and, and first and quintessential teachings of Jesus Christ are poverty and love, and yet in the name of Jesus, people have fought wars and built, you know, and and done greedy things. That but that doesn't it doesn't detract from the teachings of Jesus. Those are the misapplications of that thing. I guess that's that's my best analogy. But I really like to um, you know just start. By saying that, that I think the scientific method is the best method for exploring reality um, and understanding reality, and in that way, it, it is Zen. And that's I think where we can start our discussion. Is you know, let me define Zen. Let N- Neil Berry define as succinctly as he can the scientific method without necessarily going through all the steps. Um, but you know, or if you really, if you feel the need to, you can go through all the steps. But let me define Zen, and let and then you define um, the the scientific method, and I, I think that that is a good place to start because you know there's a there's a lot of different people have a different ideas of what science is, and a lot of people maybe have different ideas of what of what uh, Zen is. So, um, for me, Zen, when I'm at least for the purpose of this conversation, when I speak about Zen, I'm not I, I don't want to talk about the um, religious side the part that is often thought of as a kind of buddhism for me those are all of the uh, altars and prayers and, and and monastic robes and malas and incense and all of the practices uh, that 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 whole basket of like ideas and practices that is is a, is just a like a, a drawer in the cabinet of zen so it's not really what Zen is. Zen is a is a mind. Um, and I think, you know, we've discussed this in other podcasts, but if you trace the etymology of the word, it really helps because Zen, we get from Japanese, comes from, but it comes from Chinese, Chan, which in the south of China was pronounced Tan, And the Japanese heard that and, and uh, rendered it Zen. And Chan itself is then a translation of the Sanskrit word Dhyana, which, you know, you could write a book about the meaning of this word. It's very profound and deep, actually. Uh, I don't think I could Really adequately translate it without you know at least a few paragraphs, but as succinctly as I can, Diana is the meditative mind. So Zen is the meditative mind. That's what Zen is: the meditative mind, and um, and certainly that basket of rituals and and robes and practices and schedules and buildings and and architecture and all of that. Those things that that, that are in that basket, they are capable of of transmitting and inducing that zen mind but they can also get in the way of it and zen teachers have always kind of known this so um but when i talk about zen i'm talking about it in its more pure sense which is you know based on the the four foundations which i think are worth saying because um they also will i think tie into uh, some areas of the scientific method after he defines it we can we can talk about this but the four foundations, kind of pillars on which Zen are founded. The first is uh, nonverbal transmission between teacher and student. The second is no doctrine, no dogma, no scripture. The third is that it must lead to the heart of a person. And the fourth is that it must reveal the truth of nature as it is. So these are the foundations of, of what Zen is. That's my definition of Zen. And uh, so I'd like to maybe invite Neil Berry in as, in as many words as you need to maybe define what you consider science to be.
5: Mm.
4: So science in general, what I consider is the, well mainly the pursuit of knowledge, and what we do is is we look at for gaps in our understanding of how the universe works, and what we do is is we, we want to come up with a hypothesis of to propose a way to uh, explain that unknown, um, and what we want to do is ha- come up with a hypothesis, and then we propose ways of testing that hypothesis, whether that be things we already know like so comparing to observations we already have or we come up with new experiments in order to test that and then what we do is is we test those things and see whether it's consistent with what we see in nature if it's not we have to either modify the theory and go back and do that again or we throw out that theory and start again but in each step all we're doing is we're trying to get a more fine-tuned better understanding of how the universe works and functions in the same way when you said uh, the true nature of um, the universe um, so that goal is the same. Mm. It's just the methodology is slightly different. Where in the sense, so I would say, when, when you're doing science, you're wanting to remove any innate biases you have in your mind. Because you, you're trying to consider yourself as an objective observer the whole time. Any subjective bias. And I would imagine that's actually somewhat similar in the sense you're trying to...
0: That's absolutely yeah, 100% yeah, that, that, that you
4: no, know, When I was thinking about this over the last few days and stuff I was thinking that's just it's it's almost the same type of thing mm. where you're trying to cleanse the innate biases you have so that you can get a clearer picture mm. of reality yeah
0: yeah and you know I think in science oftentimes that's achieved by um, removing the human element
4: yeah that's right well yeah, normally in, in when I'm doing an experiment I don't trust my senses mm. you see I, this might be a difference because the human mind is limited Mm. in a way like you said before as well like for example i can my eyes can only see between 300 and 900 nanometer wavelength light the range of electromagnetic radiation that there is is much wider than that and there's so many things that i cannot see Mm. and there's certain for example there's certain objects in the universe that don't emit any visible light that I would be able to see, but it's there and we can see it because we can observe it with a tool that we Mm. create and it sort of removes that human element. But that's something beyond human experience because we can't actually see it. We, we require some added equipment in order to see it. Mm. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And, and you know, certainly the goal in Zen and I think most of all of Buddhism is to see clearly. So in Zen, we call that Kensho, Mm -hmm. which is like the, the clear seeing without any of the biases or, or, You know, basically, to to uh, the you could you could also say that the meditative mind's then itself is like uh, a a fully objective mind. So a release of Mm -hmm. a a purification of all of the um, purification of the channels through which sensory data comes, and then also uh, kind of dropping and removal of all of the biases that um, that interpret or reinterpret that sensory yeah. data in particular ways so that we can see more clearly. And, you know, certainly um, you could make a strong argument that that removing the human altogether is more objective, right? Um, and so for the purpose of understanding or creating knowledge about uh, reality, that obviously is uh, is skillful. To just, just, you know, bypass that. But the problem, the, 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 the Zen issue with that is that um, certainly that is ideal for, um, you know, generating and refining knowledge. So for increasing our knowledge and understanding of the universe and the way that it works, certainly the more we can remove the human, the better. But the Zen problem is that in our lives you know, we cannot remove the human, <laughs> removing the human is death. So there's not like, there's not a, um, so though that is ideal in terms of, 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 of creating and, and refining knowledge and understanding about the universe, um, it's not an ideal solution for uh, finding a way to live that is in concordance with truth.
4: Wait, So a, a scientist doesn't live, necessarily like as by all the science. Like I when i'm walking around i'm not like oh i am like thinking i'm just these massive particles in this universe <laughs> moving around in this galaxy mm. in this vast universe that's 13.8 billion years old i don't normally live like that mm. and so although science science doesn't teach you a way of life yes it it's, it's a bit it's a bit separate to that because well okay so how i how i often think about it so in physics there's this thing that we do where um, we create effective field theories. It's the well, in particle physics in particular, where it's like our model works for this regime of energy, for example. So, and an example of this, which we all know, is so if you look at, um, uh, I don't know, I throw a ball, right? And I can create classic, I can do classical mechanics when I throw this ball. I can just, I can understand that very easily. I can, just, it's all just using normal gravity on Earth or something. But then I'm like, oh, but if I look a little bit closer that ball is actually made up of particles and has quantum nature. Like, if I wanted to, I could analyse that whole situation using quantum mechanics, but it would, it would be a mess and probably not really make much sense. Mm-hmm. Right? So, although qu- I know quantum physics is a more fundamental understanding than classical mechanics, classical mechanics works very well in that regime. Now, it's a similar way to what I see with, say, in human life. Like when I look at science, I don't, like, I don't live in that world. I, I, live, I live in a human experiential world. Mm. And so the, the rules and stuff in that are slightly different. Like the, the, I don't know if this is really making sense, but it's, yeah. that's, sort, that's sort of how I see it. It's, like, it's a different regime. Like, so when I, if you were to look at like Zen or something, where the, the experiential aspects of that, that you would have are... Oh, well, most religions and things and ideologies, they're built up over time, over experience and people interacting with the world. In a, in a way, and that's just... It's, it's a certain mode of living that you can easy, that you, they can test between, and you can come up with rules and ideas and laws about how the world acts in that regime. Yes. And you can come up with ways, how is it best for me to live a human life? Mm. Would be... You'd find that by looking within this regime. You wouldn't necessarily find that by looking at how old is the universe. Ah. Like, you, you, you might... You might, or that could help, and in saying, in saying that at the same time, the ideas that you draw from science can help you alter your way of viewing the world and yourself, which can also, obviously these things are all interrelated, it's not something that you can completely disentangle, but... Right, and I think that's yeah.
0: important, you know, we've, we've, yeah. we've touched on, you know, some of the, like, you know, now some of the important differences, which is... You know, basically, I, th- I think the biggest difference is that you know, Zen and science are both a pursuit of truth, um, but um, the two main differences are number one, the instruments, which we've already discussed that. So, um, for the most part, science is trying to remove the human from the equation, which is skillful because it removes all of our biases and prejudices, etc., and um, and in Zen, we're using the instrument of the body and senses, and mind itself mm. is the only instrument. So I think that's the first big difference. And the second big difference is that um, science is, is is trying to um, create um, knowledge about the universe and how it works, which is then a- applicable in 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 the field of technology. But Zen is is more um, trying to uh, use the truth to create a way of life, mm. and so that's kind of the second difference. Um, What you were saying earlier, though, is, you know, where the two come together for me, um, and this is just, you know, my perspective. I don't want to make commentaries on other traditions. Uh, One of the beauties of Zen is that it also is one of the the, um, most vociferous uh, traditions in all of human history in terms of uh, acknowledging it and even celebrating its own limitations. So I I do celebrate the Mm -hmm. limitations of Zen, but, um, you know, the thing is, I I went to school for 20 some years. And in my case, you know, some of that was you know a ch- big chunk of that was like even private schools or universities or whatever. But basically thousands and thousands of hours and tens of thousands of dollars were spent educating me. And so um you know, and that 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 education in the United States in my case in particular was was secular. And, and scientific. My father's a scientist, actually. And so even at home, like that, that was the kind of the norm. And and I also then have like 30 years experience kind of um, in a more spiritual life and being a so-called spiritual teacher. And um, I haven't found anything as concordant or congruent as Buddhism and Zen in particular with my the, the, those ways of thinking and 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 you know so there's not any conflict so i don't need to compartmentalize in the way that you were talking about i don't need to like compartmentalize in the sense that i understand what you're saying is that there's not a like a unified theory that covers everything and so mm-hmm. the 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 like the 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 quantum mechanics don't necessarily apply to so well to the <laughs> uh to, you know to the more ordinary kind of mechanical newtonian uh perspective but what I'm, what I mean is that, like, I don't, I don't need to compartmentalize, um, because Zen's not in conflict ever with any um, insight or, or even theory of science. Like, there's not, I'm not, you know, in in the philosophy of science, there's something called the the God of the gaps, which is like yeah, yeah. people creating a spiritual philosophy based on the, on the, on the gaps in scientific knowledge. Like whatever science doesn't know, which is a lot, we can talk about that later, but that's where I put my faith. But you see, then your faith is always shifting and moving as science grows and expands. And then you've created a sense of conflict, which is pointless and and silly. So, you know, uh, I don't know if you know this, but Einstein himself said that the Buddha was the first scientist. Um, he was actually the first uh, human to... Um, to Ma- to you know b- utilize a-, a word that refers to essentially the atomic or subatomic level he talked very often about the um, the atoms in the body I mean using uh, he spoke in the language oh, obviously called, it would have been different he, he, he <laughs> used a language called Magadi, and obviously it wasn't a mm. scientific term mm. it was a term he himself kind of created but he observed those things in his body that there were the movement of these like subatomic particles and talked talked about it um but to express this, like as an example, just you know, um, of a powerful, I think, uh, place where the two can can kind of crackle, but I don't think they're they're in, in Buddhism they're ever in conflict, but they can like you know there can be a little bit of a difference in their in their direction or approach, but there was a scientist that once asked the Dalai Lama, what would you do if some scientific research, um, basically disproved all that you believe in. And his answer was, um, you know, his answer basically, you know, I'm paraphrasing and putting some words into his mouth, but but his answer basically was to express that that person didn't really understand fundamentally the teachings of the Buddha. Their question betrayed the fact that they didn't understand the teachings of the Buddha. So his answer was, well, I would read that research carefully. And if it was true, then I would change my beliefs. Because that is the teachings of the Buddha. The teachings of the Buddha are to live in concordance with nature and reality as it, as it is. Not as you want it to be. These are the words the Buddha said more than any other words. Yatha Bhuta, as it is. Not as you want it to be, but as it is. And as it is, is as it is. It's like when they wanted to crucify Galileo for saying that the earth went around the sun. And there's that, you know, it might be a legend, but it's still a powerful story where the Pope said, we're going to crucify you if you don't change your book. And he said, fine, I'll change my book, but I can't change the sun, Right. So the truth is the truth is the truth. And there's not a there's not any arguing with that. And and so that question betrayed a misunderstanding of the teachings of the Buddha, which are that we, you know, the word Buddhism was first used by a British person in the early 19th century. The Buddha is 500 B.C. So there wasn't really his teachings weren't an ism. He often, near the end of his life, for example, he held up some, one of the famous uh, discourses that he gave, he held up a handful of leaves and he said, this handful of leaves is my 40 years of ministry and the truth is the forest behind me. So he was already expressing that, you know, what could be said, what could be expressed, what could be talked about is very limited. And that, you know, know, so he, there's not really an, an opposition between these two, but here's where the sparks would come from because the Dalai Lama's answer didn't end there. He said, so that's what he said the person asked you know uh if there was science that disproved what you believe in what would you do and he said well i would read that science carefully and if it was actually legitimate i would change my belief systems that is the teachings of the buddha but then he threw it right back in that scientist's face because he said what if you had an experience that went against (laughs) the the science that you had been taught huh right then you know the the the, the, the scientist didn't really know how to answer um, you know, if, in, in in certain situations, that is easy to answer. You know, for example, like if, if um, if you know, let's just pick on Janos here. If Janos here ate some hallucinogenic drugs and then he had some experience and it went opposed to science, there's actually an explanation, which is that he was hallucinating and da-da-da-da, right? But what if you're... You know what if you what if you had an actual experience, right? What if what if something happened that was was clear and sharp and distinct, right? And um, you know, the the scientist answer, of course, is that well then I'd have to do tests and kind of you know figure it out and see. Um, but the, but this is this is you know maybe where there's a little bit of friction, but you know it's not really a friction. As I said back to what I was saying, I don't think that. There's anything in Zen that is is uh, you know, and why I love it so much, why I respect it so much is I I don't think there's any any uh, pra- any any so-called spiritual or religious practice that I've found for me anyway. I shouldn't speak for everyone in the world, but for me anyway that that um, is as a concordant or as congruent or as conducive or as you know harmonious with the education that I was raised, and I I don't see any. Um, I I see both as just the exploration of truth. They're just exploring different areas. Yeah, you
4: that's know, so, how I see it as well, actually. Yeah. They're, they're, they're exploring things in slightly different ways mm. and in different realms to an extent. Yes. But they're, they're both searching for that truth, even using very similar methods. Uh, yeah, and I think
0: what, to, what, what is done with the truth is then, uh, is then different. Whereas, you know, in science, I think once the truth is discovered, the idea is to then record it in the form of words, in the form of language and knowledge or, or math, mathematics. And then, and then um, either that scientist or another scientist looks for, for applications, technological applications maybe. But I think in, in Zen, what we're trying to do with that truth is um, shift the way that we live. Um, because the underlying premise, basically, is that the more I live, you know, it, the more I live in that kind of, as you were saying earlier, bias, or the more I live with with unclear perception, right, the more ultimately that that is going to cause suffering in my life. Because the thing, because essentially when, when my um, sensory data or my interpretation of sensory data... Is uh, let's say faulty. B- by faulty, I'm saying not in concordance with the way things are, the way the universe actually works. The more that it, the more that is, uh, you know, that you could you could say that that is a kind of argument with reality, mm-hmm. right? If if real, if I say that the earth is flat, I'm arguing with reality, right? that particular instance isn't strong but there are other instances where when you argue with reality the problem with arguing with reality is that reality always wins you can't win that argument right even if it takes 400 years the pope lost that argument to to with galileo yeah like right. you you can't argue with the with the with the reality that the earth goes around the sun there's no arguing with it it doesn't like i mean uh, it's not skillful uh, and there are instances where as you said like this maybe the subatomic stuff or something there are instances where arguing with re- the the ar- arguing with the the workings of of quantum mechanics maybe won't have a tremendous impact on the suffering of my life but there are other areas where um, arguing with reality can very very have very strong um effects on on how i live my life skillfully or unskillfully and the amount of suffering that i that i have so i think the the more that i'm able to live in in harmony with nature and its laws right and um you know the the, the better in in a, in a sense the more the more uh, at peace i can be right so the the idea being that like arguing with reality it's kind of like if you're if you're arguing with reality, how will you ever achieve peace such that you're okay with whatever happens?
4: So, when you're saying arguing rea- reality, are you saying in terms of the like questioning my ability as a my questioning my own ability to interpret the world? Is that what you mean?
0: Uh, I mean, so- I mean, li- I mean, living your life in in. Like, let's take a basic example, right? The, the fact, let's take, because as I said, there are areas where if you had a belief system that was, that was, you know, fundamentally opposed to reality as it is, that it probably won't make much of a difference in the life. And there are areas where it will make a very strong difference. Let's take one, a strong example so mm-hmm. that we can make a point, right? The, the fact of the matter, like the reality of the matter is that you are mortal. Mm-hmm. You are going to die. Mm-hmm. But a lot of humans live as though they are not. That is incredibly unskillful. Since you were able to have sentient thought at the age of whatever, four or five, you, you have known you were going to die. And so this is a very common uh, brand of unskillfulness. Uh, in fact, one of the early uh, and very important um, Zen teachers in America who helped bring Zen to the to the West, he was a grief counselor. And he's actually written a book about, you know, so he helped families deal with grief. He helped families deal with funerals. He helped families, just he helped people die. He did a lot of this work. And he has a really beautiful book. And in there, one of the things he talks about is like, you know, this very thing. I find it funny. He basically over decades of doing this, one one of the like kind of statistical insights was like how like the vast majority of humans are completely unprepared to die despite the fact that they have known they are going to die their entire (laughs) life they are completely unprepared right which is i find that very unskillful because no matter what your view is uh religious or otherwise i think something we can all agree upon is that like death is a very meaningful experience huh much more meaningful than like the 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 toothbrushing you did last Wednesday <laughs> <laughs> right yeah, much more meaningful than even other big life markers you know so here's a here's a really this is an example of what i'm talking about there is a a fact and it's a scientific fact it's a it's a it, it's just a legitimate fact that you are mortal uh, and that you were, you know you were gonna, you're going to uh, you're going to die and so this would be a place where you know, but and where somebody could though create a, a system of life that was, in a sense, arguing with that fact. In other words, a, a system of life that just completely discounted that 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 very real fact. And the problem with that is then that also, um, you know the implications of that is that kind of on un, 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 the underlying implications of that is that death becomes a kind of enemy, which is not necessary, right? It's not, it's not necessary for, for this to be. So this is a, this is a, you know, this is an area where, where I just, I think that, uh, that highlights what I'm talking about, mm-hmm. right? Where, you know, science would just say, yes, it's a fact we're mortal. we could, We could you know maybe extend our lifespans through medical technology but yes we're mortal and then that's it whereas zen would say well okay how do i take that truth and what what are are the implications of that truth on the on the way that i live my life today right Um, and i think those implications are very important there uh, if uh, from a from a perspective of of a human being who is living that day <laughs> then certainly it's very important uh, you know because this this it,
4: it, science doesn't say that's not important
0: no it, does, right. it says it, it doesn't it, wouldn't say it is it something it doesn't
4: have an opinion on right that, it, it doesn't it, it's, ha- it have anything it, to say yeah exactly it doesn't have anything to say on that but right. then in a way you could say that when someone it, it, because How how does does someone come up with the best way of living a life? Mm. The only way you can do that is by living, right? Mm. So you'd have to do it by experience, and that's through doing something. Mm. So you're basically testing a way of living and seeing whether that's a good way of living. So it's almost like doing science, but just on a slightly different level.
0: Sure, but also do you like... Do you, the measure did, of did you did you like go to an island and do all science since the beginning of time from scratch or did you rely it, no, on no, no, the accumulated no, exactly. wisdom of humans no, no, up exactly, until this no, that, point. no
4: that's right Yeah, no. yeah. And, and, no, but that was my point uh, what zen and all those, and most religions have come from is from building as in science they say off the shoulders of giants yes it's, it, people over time have come up with ways mm. and that's what that's why I, yeah i think i think it's quite stupid when some people just throw away most religious things because they just say oh look at oh, look at all the dogma and things like that yeah. because there's accumulated lessons in that because yeah. people people have been around for a very long time and they yeah. found that these ways are conducive to good ways of living or good uh, or conducive to um, good ways of life and so obviously you shouldn't ignore those completely but i, I feel like that in the development of those things is science has, was a basic rudimentary form of science uh-huh. it's just it was embedded in a subjective point of view yeah. rather than an objective point of view, which is the, where, where where science sort of is differentiates itself is that you, you you remove that subjective.
0: Well, I think that's where Zen also differentiates itself. Because as I said, the second foundation of Zen is no dogma, no doctrine, yeah, exactly. no scripture. That, that, so that's, that's where why you're I, getting... That's, the... yeah, that's why I quite like Zen. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's why you're <laughs> getting into the, yeah. the, 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 the contrast. I think, you know, um, one of the things that a lot of people don't discuss enough is that the Enlightenment wasn't a, a like a, an enlightenment into a particular uh theory or knowledge but it was an enlightenment into into a sense of i don't know hmm. and um you know so for a long time humans had thought they had all the answers in the form of the bible or the whatever scripture the the quran or whatever it is and you don't stray from that and so you, you and you can get in trouble for straying from that Yeah, of course. Yeah. so you 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 uh You know, if you if you have a question about the way things work, you go ask the priest. The priest consults the Bible, and then that's the answer. And so the kind of the enlightenment was like, wait a minute, we don't know anything, and we need to start testing and observing. And I think that's another place where Zen is in concordant because Zen is we have a saying in Zen which is, um, you know, small doubt, small awakening; great doubt, great awakening; no doubt, no awakening. And that's kind Mm -hmm. of by doubt here is a is a that's I'm giving that's the usual translation. Yeah, yeah. A better translation is basically questioning. Basically what that's saying is, you know, akin to what Socrates said, the unexamined life is not worth living. So it's basically like the same kind of, um, the same kind of just like constant, I don't know. And and every conclusion is just more questions and more seeking and more, you know, know, something that impresses me, you know, is that, uh, is, is, and and that's what I think a, a, a pure, like pure science, not, not commercially driven, not corrupted. Well, yeah, uh, is, I, is I, that?
4: Yeah, what I was going yeah, something you said at the very beginning when you're talking about like some of the things people are like anti-science and stuff. Normally, what they've done is they've created this image of what science is, uh, and and it's normally something driven by commercial needs or the ego of a scientist trying to push their ideas or to get funding or conceit, or conceit. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And it's like it's normally. What the problem with in that with that science is, is not the, human. the science. It's, it's not the, the science. It's yeah, because yeah. the the objective the the results are objective. It's the it's subjective interpretation, right? And then the ap- subjective ap- application yes. of those things. That's the that's that's the issue. It's and the same with
0: Zen. When people say like, yeah, oh, right. I, I went yeah. to a Zen class at the local thing, and they did like this, and they did like this, and and I didn't like that, and I didn't like this, and you're like, well, that those are all just like the human trappings not what really zen is pointing at or trying to be or express and uh the the same kind of exact same kind of thing is is that is that you know but both i think are also fundamentally at their core resting on just uh, the solid like i don't know Hmm. and and you know like in 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 physics right now our understanding of the universe like You know, ninety whatever percent of matter and ninety whatever percent of energy is an unknown thing that we can observe its effects, but we have no clue what it is and we can't see it. And so, literally, (laughs) we've just given it a name of like dark matter, dark energy. (laughs) Like it's just it's it's mostly unknown. Yeah. yeah.
4: Well, no, we we can't. Well, okay, because dark energy, we we can sort of we know it's kind of there, but dark matter, we've sort of seen kind of because you can indirectly observed, but we know it's there but we, right. just, we don't know what it is right though. yeah exactly that's is. my point like but that's
0: yeah. and that's the majority of everything yeah so the, the majority of everything is is unknown and maybe forever will be and that's kind of the you know zen is also orienting towards that mystery in a positive way um you know and this w- one of the things that i think that um ordinary people Uh, One of their, one of the, there's a lot of criticism against science that, as I said, when we, in the start, I don't approve of. Um, I don't approve of the, first of all, uh, let's get something straight. In Zen, uh, it's a a very different approach than a lot of uh, spiritual or religious traditions, because we have a slogan in Zen, which is get to one reality.
5: Mm -hmm. And
0: what this is really, This has a lot of meanings. It's been used for hundreds of years in lots of different ways. But the way that my teacher and a lot of Zen teachers, especially in the modern era, have used this this slogan is, is getting away from this separation of the physical and the spiritual. The separation of reality into two dimensions. Which, you know, even philosophically is pointless. Because the moment you prove something exists, it becomes part of reality, capital R. If you're defining reality as the sum total of all that exists. Then obviously anything that exists is, is an aspect of reality. So if you define universes, all that exists, then even if there are multiple dimensions, those are still part, multiple yeah, small right. U universes, those are par- still part of the large U universe, part of reality, capital R. So but also, you know, I think the problem is that both of these um extremes, right? The idea that human beings are just chemicals and that everything is stuff and matter and physical is an inadequate theory for especially when it comes to to living a human life skillfully and our experience on this planet but in general i find it inadequate and but the other extreme that we're just like spirits in bodies and the bodies don't matter that's also absurd because in order to have that thought or concept or let alone articulate it in words you have to have a body and a brain (laughs) so like but both of these extremes and and putting them at odds with each other this is kind of in one way this is one of the dynamics of, of human thought and and our social systems over the last, you know, tens of thousands of years where we move, you know, into the extreme of the spiritual and then we move into the extreme of the physical. People think like now this is the physical age, but you know, the Romans were actually very they had religion, but they were relative to other societies at that time, they were actually pretty physical. There were times where the Chinese also, especially the Song Dynasty, lived very um, empirical lives and and were more physical. And, you know you could look at this also look at from a very limited narrow minded perspective an oversimplification in other words you could look at the you know what happened the terrorism what happened in 911 as this it's like a group of humans who believe that the spiritual is more important and real than the physical attacked a, a symbol of the physical you know the World Trade mm-hmm. Center and I think this whole duality then then um, fundamentally uh, objects to so in Zen the get to one reality means kind of like arguing that the the absolute truth reality itself is beyond this duality um, that this duality within reality this duality doesn't make sense this this duality is only a conceptual framework in other words it's not it's, it's in real the absolute truth the absolute of what reality is is neither spiritual nor um, physical and so like this is another place where you can get really spiritual and you get really ungrounded and you then again as i said earlier you can live unskillfully because your 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 way of life is based on um ideas theories knowledge that is in some ways discordant with reality but i think that goes the other extreme too and this is where you get to like uh, one of the Um, you know just to make up my own analogy but a demon I think that has come in kind of through the back door of a lot of scientists and their lives their especially their personal lives but also potentially their research potentially their research I think it more affects them as individuals but the demon is um, a sense of dismissiveness which is actually not part of the scientific method Mm mm-hmm So that's why I said it's a demon that's gotten in the back door. And what it is is kind of like the idea that because I am able to accurately explain a phenomenon, um, I therefore dismiss it. Um, And we could we could take this the the whole point that I'm making and just collapse it into the word just. So an example is like somebody sees the the northern lights, right? And uh, you know few hundred years ago the the explanation for what that was would have been like you know the 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 fairy gods were dancing in the sky and and right and now we have as i said the best method so far we've come for explaining and understanding and creating knowledge about the way the universe works is the scientific method and so through the scientific method we understand more clearly what's going on that that has to do with the electromagnetics and solar flares and all that kind of it's a meteorological phenomenon in other words but um being able to explain it does not make it any less awesome.
4: I, 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 I think if you would find if you speak to most scientists, if they were to go and see the Northern Lights, they'd think uh. it's beautiful. And, and, and they'd be seeing the beauty not only in the experiential part like seeing uh. it and being like in awe of what's happening, but right. they'd also understand it. On, and they'd see the beauty of it on the level of the fact that what it's caused by it's like because it's it, the cosmic scale of what's happening there is that you've got rays from the Sun. Coming and hitting the Earth that we live on, and getting traversing along the magnetic fields that we can't see, and then interacting with our atmosphere, producing light, and then we see it. Yeah. Not uh, to and, mention and, and, the
0: complexity yeah. of your eyes oh, yeah, and yeah, brain yeah, 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 and all of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah.
4: yeah. I, I would say that the. I, I would say scientists typically aren't dismissive of the um, dismissive of the, well, I, Maybe it, it, physicists aren't. <laughs> <laughs> physicists aren't dismissive. Okay. I
0: wouldn't say all. I wouldn't. This is my. This is my point. I'm not saying this criticism applies to every single scientist. I'm just saying it is. It is something I know, that is there.
4: But I, 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 that see. People often say this, uh. and I feel like that's something that people say from the outside of science because uh. it looks like. We're dismissive of when we catalog something. Say if I go, oh, I figured this out. Okay, I put that over there now. That's the thing. that I know that. Like, uh. it's because I'm going on to constantly looking for the understanding the new thing. It looks right. like it's dismissive when in reality, it's like, it's not something to be pursued in terms of knowledge anymore.
0: Right. I actually think, as I said, that the dismissiveness potentially, I said potentially, if yeah. the dismissiveness... I agree that it's a stereotype.
4: Yeah, no, it's more of a stereotype. But it, but a stereotype,
0: it, it, usually they have basis oh, in no, no, no. reality yeah, no, no. somewhere. But that, yeah, that's true. That's
4: true. <laughs> uh, it, it sometimes is. Oh, no. Yeah. I, I'm not saying there's not a scientist somewhere that's not like, oh, pff, you know, there's that's probably just is. a mete- yeah, meteorological yeah, phenomenon. There probably is. Mm. But I would say the majority, well, majority of physicists I've seen, when they see, for example... Or, a key example would just be astronomers, right? They've devoted their lives to astronomy, and when they go out away from a city and they see the stars, they're in awe. Yes, uh, as I am. I, I yeah, I, but I don't.
0: It. I think yeah. that criticism is real. You know, for example, yeah. uh, a, a small example, um, and you know, it may sound cheesy, but I've, I've I've had a lifelong interest in the life of Einstein. I've read a lot of biographies, but I also found the um, I don't know if you watched it, but. Um, National Geographic actually made a, a dramatized version of his life that was like ten episodes. No, I and it's incredibly. That. The cinematography is beautiful. The acting is amazing. It's really high budget. It's like one of these like new TV series that are super high budget, and mm. um, you know, it's a miniseries, like 10, 10 episodes of his life. And one thing that they captured really well that you know, and they they did their best to. Um, of course, it's dramatized. Yeah, it, but it's but it's they inner- they did their. It's National Geographic. They did yeah. their best to maintain historical accuracy. I I feel they did, and um, I feel they did a good good job at that. Based on the like seven or so um, things that I've read or Mm -hmm. seen elsewhere, and um, you know, one of the things that they showed in there was, first of all, he 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 never stopped questioning. He was was from childhood; he was annoying his parents till late at night until you know the end of his life. He was still asking questions and going Mm -hmm. through uh, questions. But you know, when he was in university, he like almost got thrown out. For, for his love of questions. Right, and his love of questions was genuine, but the professors interpreted interpreted his questions as a challenge to their authority. Right, and this was pretty constant for him throughout his life. So this demonstrates the criticism that I was talking about. Obviously, these are different times. So maybe this maybe this uh, stereotype is also going away. I was going to say that. That's,
4: yeah, yeah, that's another. Common stereotype people have is that the scientists are like, oh, I I know the things, yeah, so right. you can't question me. So, and they, it's like these um, authority figures that yeah, they, yeah. they take that authority and they use that to prevent people from questioning them, or they well, say, certainly did in his life. But uh, yeah, uh, that obviously that does happen at times. Because, but what that is is typically, say, someone's been working on a particular. This happens. I see it in my field sometimes. Like it. it, it if someone's been working on a particular thing their whole life, and they don't want to, they don't want to see it disappear because they they think that they've wasted their life studying it. You can see they they sometimes cling to it, uh. like and it's sort of just like a natural thing that they don't want to see their their life's work a waste. Yeah, it's and natural. Yeah, it's basically. a natural human thing. It's yeah, not. Yeah. It, 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 that, but I wouldn't say that's common. Most of the time, if 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 a student was to come in and question the the professor, it, obviously it would be assumed that the student probably is wrong because they obviously don't have the backing of knowledge. And typically what's happening sure. is when a teacher is teaching a student, they're not teaching them the full ideas or the fundamental theory because they're not ready for that yet. You need to build a foundation or a basis block. And a lot of the science is about actually creating a, uh, a way of viewing the world or a, st- a, st- a way of analyzing the world and that kind of thing, like a methodology before, before you start analyzing those different parts. But yeah. Typically, I would say that that's a stereotype that people often say, but I I haven't really seen it that well, much. I I, like, I, you, I I think
0: it is there. Like, look, here's another example in tea, right? Okay. Well, this is the, the like one of the things that often, um, again, back to my word, just. Mm-hmm. We're using that word just as like as as dismissiveness. Yes, right? yes, yes. Right. Yes. So uh, something that I've experienced commonly from people that have scientific backgrounds is the phrase just placebo just (laughs) placebo um and for for the i have several problems Mm, with that mm. phrase just placebo Uh, first of all uh placebo itself is a is a extremely documented effect it is very very real and very very effective
4: no, it's very power- it can it, be powerful. It, it can yeah. be extremely powerful, <laughs> yeah, that's right, yeah. right?
0: So um, it's not just anything.
4: Mm-hmm. <laughs> but why that just? So in that in that case, for example, the reason people use just is because, say, they want to dismiss it. No, 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 no. They're dismissing the other person's use of the thing because they. they if say, for example, I say, this thing I made does this. Yeah. And then I find that it does, and they're like, "Oh no, it's just a placebo." They're more—I th- I would say—in some cases, they are dismisses of the thing that they're trying to say does things, uh. not the placebo itself. Uh. That's what I would say. It obviously this depends on context, but that's how I—if I was to—in most cases, I would hear someone say "just." Like it would be the same in 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 physics. Say someone came up with this great theory, and it, but it had all these complicated moving parts, and it did all these things, and I'm like. Oh well, it's just it, like there's just one part of it that's doing everything. Well, I'm like, it's just that, and all the other stuff that's really beautiful that it looks really nice and stuff. Right. It's not actually making a difference. You could create, you could pull it all apart and just have that bit.
0: Right. So I understand what yeah. you're saying is is basically that the when they say just placebo, they're 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 dis- not dismissing the placebo. The, the, they're dismissing, they're the, dismissing the, yeah. the the other person's maybe over exaggerated exactly. emphasis
4: of the that, of the truth yes that's what they're saying yeah because it's but i think the yeah.
0: dismissiveness is still unskillful because uh there's still there's there's just because um just because the okay so i make a statement mm-hmm. and you hypothetically say that's just placebo uh, and so what you're saying is that my statement doesn't have objective validity right basically
4: uh, well, it doesn't yeah, have objective yeah, right. it doesn't yeah, have yeah, objective yeah.
0: validity and maybe i was exaggerating it yes and and yeah, exactly. or yeah. stating it in a way that um stating it in a way that made it seem as though it does have objective validity and so you're saying no it's just placebo but i think as as just as unskillful as it is for me to exaggerate my experience and and claim that something um subjective has objective validity it is also unskillful to completely dismiss the subjective validity i
4: I agree no i i agree with that but it's yeah the the reason that kind of terminology that just or something would come out now is because typically that there's consequences to Mm. saying something does something right because if you go around saying to everyone oh I, I, I can't come up with examples yeah, yeah, like I, yourself, yeah, yeah. but the, it's just say like this thing does this thing, and then they, they can go then and get a livelihood out of it and make money out of it and convince right. people that what they're doing is this. When in re- like, although some people will gain from it because of placebo, there might be something better or something that actually does that thing.
0: Sure, but that, you, you all just, of that is all of that is happening anyway.
4: Oh, I know. I know. Re-
0: very recently, I was watching like I think John <laughs> Oliver, and he was talking about like some um, o- Oxford did some some research the university of oxford did some research mm-hmm. and he was just talking about how like one small aspect of the paper of the scientific paper got like hit the mainstream and was covered by all these news channels like all over you know the united oh. states but the actual paper had a completely different conclusion they they had only taken like one little like uh, part of the yeah, study no, I, and like abused
4: it this is this is something very painful to many scientists. <laughs> yeah. is it, well, it, the problem is, it's just a lot of the time the people that write these articles don't know much science, oh. or they don't—they only have a background knowledge, and they—and they just—they and just, they see, oh, I can make a headline out of that because, and a lot of the way the media is these days, on the when because a lot of these get circled around the internet. What what matters is the number of clicks you get. So you want to create a title that people are going to be like, oh, this is some new thing that's going to help me with this, or this is going to, and that kind of thing, and. This happens all the time. People come up with... Someone does a study and it's almost insignificant. It's meaningless. But they wrote somewhere like, oh, it could mean this. And, and, and normally the scientists are very careful when they write these things. They're very careful. It's the media that takes right, it yeah. and creates something out of it. And, this, the, and the problem is these people, these people writing these science articles, the whole point of them doing this is to help spread the word of science. And, and, and make people understand it more and all that sort of thing. And basically, they're like the, um, uh, like the frontier people that are meant to be presenting our ideas and everything. But in the end, they're doing us a disservice because they're presenting our ideas wrong. And then when, say, six months later, they say, oh, that thing doesn't cause cancer. Like, it's sort of like, ah, how can we trust them anymore? They never say what they actually, they never know what's going on when in reality most of the papers never make incredibly strong claims mm. or the other thing is it all, it also shows because uh, a lot of people don't well when you read the scientific literature like if you're not from that field it's sometimes very tough to know how important that result is because for example this this is a big difference right in biology and those sort of studies if you get one standard deviation from the mean so that's like if you if you took it's it, you'd be right 68% of the time. That's what it means. So if you were to do a, throw a dart at the thing, you get it 68% of the time, right? That's pretty good if it's like one or two standard deviations. Particle physics, I don't say I've discovered a particle until I've got more than five standard deviations, which is that it, the chances of it being wrong is 99.99999%. So there's different standards in different fields, and it's sort of tough sometimes to know right where you stand if you're not in the field yes and then when you've got someone that doesn't know science very well or like they, they may have done a science degree that doesn't necessarily embed you in the field enough to know how to interpret someone's results without talking to them yeah and and that's what happens when they take like a, a sentence so
0: somewhere. without getting yeah. too bogged down though in that stereotype yes, yes, let, yes, let, sorry, let, yeah. let, let's um i want to see if we can come to a place of agreement which is that i know you agree with me that the <laughs> that a like a full-on ungrounded spiritual view of the world as as you know completely foo foo that that is unskillful. I know it's, you agree with yeah. me there, <laughs> but I think as a physicist also, you know, especially if I phrase this properly, you also can agree that a theory of the world as just like stuff, matter, chemicals is also inadequate. Like as your 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 whole field is beneath that yeah, like the level of yeah. energy, yes, yeah, right, and movement and process, and so that. That also is 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 a inadequate um, perspective, and that the truth is neither of these things. The truth is something beyond both of them. The, the, as you were saying earlier, there is a truth that uh, to the to the physical mechanics of of the world, uh, but there's also a truth that but beneath that there's incredibly complicated energy and flow and movement, right? And so, I I could arbitrarily semantically right? Call that spirit, mm-hmm. right? The, the, and this is another thing that I think, see, because of the his the history, the historical relationship between mm. science and religion that, that's, that's and the their mission. battle, yeah. right? That's- Scientists now, and, and I understand legitimately, I understand, have a desire to distinguish all of their terminology from any of the, you know, older terminology. Um, you know, and I understand that, and I'm fine with it because <laughs> arguing about that is just semantic. It no, doesn't make yes. any it matter to me yeah. what you, what you call it. Um, as long as you don't, uh, as long as you don't allow that, as long as you don't allow that dismissive demon back in. Which I don't want to hammer that point. I get mm. that that's a stereotype, and a lot of people don't do that. So yeah. I'm I'm fine with that. But as long as that doesn't come in, because you know, whether you 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 call like an instantaneous casting of of energy soup across the stars in some, you know, in explosive uh, phenomenon way beyond human comprehension, whether you call that the big bang or the, like, you know, the, the creation or, or make up a word and call it gibbetaboo. Like it, (laughs) it it really ultimately what you call it doesn't matter whether you call the, the, the moving, um, the moving processes at the, at the quantum level, whether you call that energy and you say all matter is energy, you know, or I say all matter is spirit, right? There's not like that. If we're both referring to the same thing, if we're both referring to the same well, that, thing, that's, the, that's word, the, key part, the word, the word, the word that we use is unimportant. Yeah. Well, but I am, when I say spirit, let's be clear when I'm saying, when I say spirit, I mean, and let's see if you object to this definition at all, right? I mean the mystery of that energy right the mystery not just the mystery the energy and its mystery right Mm -hmm. would you would you agree that the energy at the sub at the quantum level right the 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 energy and its flow and its processes will forever forever contain mystery unknown that there is no end to our to, to the exploration of it. In other words, you can exhaust. Is, yeah, no, ex- no, is, no, ex- is your field your field is your field exhaustible?
4: I would say no. Okay, yeah, so yeah, you're, yeah, you're I, saying yeah, your field is inexhaustible. Would be, I would be, uh, well, I don't know, right? <laughs> but I would assume, right? Like my, my my belief at the moment is yes, but okay. I don't know. Okay, but that's mainly, but that's partially a limitation of ourselves, not limitation of the universe. Fine. Yeah. yeah.
0: But 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 there's but there's there's always going to be mystery in it in other words right so it plus mystery
4: i guess if, it, 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 what i'm saying is it yeah. plus
0: mystery it plus mystery is is what i would say by spirit right mm-hmm. so what you would call energy in other words i would call spirit the only difference being that i would add, i would i would add to what you call energy not just what you know about energy but also what you don't know mm-hmm. and that includes what you have yet to discover and that includes also what you may never discover, but all of that together, the thing itself, as you just said, that's a, that is a the the mystery part is a product of the human limitation, yeah, not about the it's, u- exactly, universe that's, that, itself. That's you got to be careful, that's, right? Yeah, for the so, so so like, let yeah. go there with me philosophically. This is yeah. a subtle point, right? Let's let's call let's call let's let's just arbitrarily we're make, we're using terms in our own way, right here for, for here and now. Okay, yeah. Let's call energy. The part of quantum me- mechanics that we understand, and let's even include in in it the parts that we may one day understand, mm-hmm. right? And then let's call spirit uh, the phenomenon itself.
4: Wait, it's sort of just the mechanisms of nature. You're saying is the spirit? Not, not the yeah, meca- not the mechanisms. The mechanisms was,
0: are the mechanisms are human I, creations. I,
4: Oh, no, no, no. Oh, oh yeah. I'll, yeah, no, I, no, I'm never no, like, when I say the mechanism, like the. Yeah, because, see, I mean, it's, it's it's the scientific language coming <laughs> up against no, so it. I'm fine the, with it. Yeah. I'm fine with it. No, but that's why I use the word mechanism. Because when I say that, I'm thinking about the way in which those things interact. Like, ah. Uh...
0: Yeah, no, I'm not talking about the way they interact. The way they interact is is in that's our just, mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's us creating ideas yeah, about yeah, no, I'm, talk, I'm, not, I'm not talking about the way they interact, I'm talking about their interactions.
4: Yeah, no, that's what I mean. No, I know. I'm trying I, I think I understand what you're I'm saying. I'm talking I about just, the phenomenon itself. The thing itself. so it's like the unfolding of the thing, like the, right, as it's so, like the so happening of it rather than the actual what is happening.
0: Right. So let's say this this bowl of tea, right? This bowl of tea, it um so this bowl of tea is the is the 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 the, the quantum phenomenon happening mm-hmm. actually happening in the universe right and let's say we understand i mean i don't know what percentage of it do we understand we can't even understand <laughs> we don't even know what percentage we know but let's just arbitrarily make it up mm-hmm. let's say right now we understand 10% of its workings and let's say there are still human beings here a thousand years from now, and they will understand 30% of its workings, right? So I'm saying, and then let's say 10,000 years from now, they understand 50%, but, but let's just assume that some aspect of it is forever unknowable. And not in the sense that, in the sense that it is too, It's it, it, again, that's not... A limitation of it yeah
4: no i know it's, it's a, a limitation, limitation us. Of, of us yeah, I know. so i was just clarifying you so
0: let's can, call the part that we understand or possibly could understand
5: mm-hmm. okay. forever yeah okay yeah.
4: let's
0: call that energy okay and let's call it itself spirit
4: well go on where where, where is this leading yeah are trying to get me to agree no or, the term yeah, the term, trying,
0: the, term I, the terms are irrelevant yeah. Instead of spirit, I could say boogity boo. Yeah, no, I could say I, I, juju. We could use any word you want.
4: Yeah.
0: Right. But I, I'm just I'm defining to you how I'm using the term, right? So th- just to yeah, I, I, so the point, my point is this. My point is that I need I, I want you to understand that when um, that that uh, a, a mature a mature understanding of the energy that is this world, right. Beyond the just physical, a mature understanding of that energy and its and its processes, both the processes that we understand and the processes that we don't understand, and the processes that we may nev- may never understand. I'm not making God of the yeah, gas No, I know, yeah, I know. I know. Uh, but I'm saying that a mature understanding of all of that, um a mature spiritual understanding of all of that, is not uh, in any way uh, incongruent with with the ex- with the, with science and the exploration of science it's just bigger so it's just bigger because it's it's bigger because basically I'm I'm like you were agreeing I'm assuming that mystery will forever be a part of it you
4: know the the issue so the issue you would come up against with a description like that is if you then draw conclusions from that thing that you've applied no i'm not trying yeah, to draw conclusions I know, but, <laughs> no, but that, that, yeah i guess but if you just were to say that's that then it's like okay but if you if you if you go beyond that and say well if i assume this
0: well i think there is the important conclusion is that our understanding of the way things work is not the things working
4: well when you're saying that I, I'm, I'm trying to yeah okay because yeah, normally the, the language is a bit different, the way of using it. So, for example, when I say this works like this, I'm applying some mathematical model that I've come up with. Right. It's not necessarily how the system actually works. Right, like, and the mean, mathematics
0: know, are in yeah. the human brain. Not, yeah, no, that's not a, that's the a human thing. projection onto. Right, it's the not, they're thing. not yeah. in the thing. Yeah,
4: exactly. Like I, I would, assure, I feel that mathematics is something fundamental to the universe but it may not necessarily I no think, it is yeah, fundamental you know, but is, but, is, but but the but fundamental but, but the way in which we're writing it down may not necessarily dictate how the universe actually i don't
0: I don't, think, I don't think it's i don't think it's fundamental i think it's accurate mm-hmm. and that i think what you're calling fundamental i would call accurate
4: okay I don't yeah. think
0: the mathematics is in the phenomenon. Yeah, no, no, I think it's yeah, in the yeah, human yeah, so brain. This, no, this is the but it's an accurate. Yeah, so yeah, no, this is an, yeah, That's what I was
4: getting to. So is this w- the differentiation you're making? Yes, yeah, that's okay, the differentiation I'm making. Yeah, no, I, yeah, making, no, I yes. understood. I just yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. yeah, yeah. that it, that it's accurate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand what you're saying. Yeah. Right,
0: but but the phenomenon itself is not mathing. Yeah,
4: no, no, that's right. <laughs> no, no, yeah, no. yeah, yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah no I agree with you completely yeah yeah, yeah no then at that yeah we could come to agreement there yeah. right so
0: w- w- what I'm what I'm the dis- the distinction then that I'm making is that the the knowledge mm-hmm. basically of the way things work is not the things working
4: yeah no, 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 yeah in a sense in yes. and of themselves yeah that's right yeah right so your understanding it's of the
0: way of it, subatomic yeah. particles uh uh behave it's, it's, is not the behavior of subatomic particles
4: us to understand how you're you're right it's an understanding of it yeah it's an understanding of it it's not necessarily constraining the universe to be that way
0: right and 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 that because of the limitations of 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 technology of us of our makeup there's more in the phenomenon than we can than we can observe or understand obviously yeah 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 right yeah, and there's a possibility that will forever be so. Yeah. Uh, in right, fact, uh, there's a 100% certainty that if you, that we can never know all there is to know.
4: Well, if, if you tried to, for example, simulate the universe or something, you would need a, a, yeah. <laughs> a computer bigger than the universe itself. Right. Exactly. That's my point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So exactly. there, there's,
0: there's a, there actually is a distingu- distinction, a very important distinction between what is unknown, in the sense that it has yet to be discovered or researched or, or explored. And what is unknowable mm-hmm. and the sum total of all knowledge is unknowable forever. So there is, even if there's not, even if you, even if, even if you were wrong and your field was exhaustible, right? Because you said you can't know for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So let's say you were, you're wrong. You said you assumed it as such, but let's say you're wrong yeah. and that your field is exhaustible. hmm uh, certainly, the sum total of knowledge c- will never be exhaustible. So, so there always is mystery. Mystery is just—it it's, it's, will always be a fundamental aspect of human experience.
4: Uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, I guess unless you, unless you, when you say exhaustible, you mean fully understandable.
0: Right, I mean, and like, and that's fully, fully co-
4: And fully, right, fully cognitive. Under, f- fully understandable. If it's fully understandable and cognitive, then right. that mystery sort of dissipates. Okay.
0: Yeah. Huh? Yeah, so what, I'm, what I mean is that even if your field was exhaustible, in the, in the sense that we could, there was a possibility that we could understand everything there is to understand about quantum mechanics, um, 100% of it, mm-hmm. the sum total of all knowledge is in itself, but it's, it is always unknowable. It's always mystery. There's always, a, there's oh, always, there's uh, yeah, yeah, always, okay. there's always mystery yeah. will always, yeah, yeah. in other words, mystery, what I'm saying is mystery will always be a part of, of human experience. Right. And this is a place where, um, this is a place maybe where, uh, Zen and science also part ways, and which is they that, a yeah, bit yeah. Right, they converge right. a little bit right here because the, the, the idea of science maybe is just ignore that or that's not, okay, fine, but that's not important. <laughs> Let's focus on understanding as much as we possibly can. Yeah. Um. Whereas Zen would say, well, but how you're relating to the mystery is important, mm.
5: mm-hmm.
0: right? Because if your relationship to the mystery is is is, I think it's healthy to have a, a, a desire to understand as much as possible, explore, question constantly, right? But an attitude of like conquer. The mystery, right, is once again also not congruent with facts. If we assume that mystery will always be there and you can never conquer it in its entirety, the so the then you're of death, then, then right. Yeah, you're yeah, you're, yeah, you're, you're living in an unskillful yeah, yeah, way where yeah. you know there's also there's also a uh, there's also another way of relating to I don't know. There's another way of relating to it, mm-hmm. right? There's another way of being. So, and then you get into a place where, um, you know, so here's an even deeper level that we could go, right? Uh, certainly, the sum total of all knowledge is is unknowable. As you said, to even do, simulate the universe, you'd need a computer bigger than the universe, right? You'd have to be God, essentially. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's not, yeah. So, um, it's unknowable, but... Is it unexperiencible? <laughs>
4: uh, I don't know. It's so. Is yeah, there? It's... Is there? A,
0: in other words, is there a possibility of uh, relating or being on to the universe other than knowledge? I would say there is, even for life forms, because I don't like single-cell organisms. Don't have a lot of knowledge, so they're 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 Certainly they certainly they
4: don't have much knowledge, but then their experience of the universe is limited.
0: Yeah, but they but yeah, they so but they are a, they, they have a way of being onto the universe. I oh, know
4: they do, but it's like yeah, but the, the level to which they ex- can experience the universe is limited by their ability to well their knowledge that it well, you, you, depends how you want to say knowledge, but right. their, their their experiential um, interactions with the earth are quite well the earth are limited, let alone the universe. Right, so they're, they're limited, in, limited. They're
0: limited in terms of knowledge. Yes, but I'm. But what I'm saying is, it, like, no,
4: I would say that's equi- they're equally limited in terms of their experience. Let
0: me let me let me take the, another road with this, uh, another direction with this. Right, I think that uh, especially in the Western world right now, there's a like a you know the liberal humanism has created this like um, the, the, the sacrosanct individual, which is there in all aspects of our of our modern kind of philosophy and lifestyle. I mean, it's, it's even our, our politics and our, our entire legal code. Mm -hmm. Because if the, if you don't, if you don't start with the fundamental implication of the, of the sanctity of the individual, then you can't hold them culpable for their, their misdeeds. Right. So it's, it's, it's fundamental, but I would say scientifically, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. I'm uh, especially from a perspective of physics I'm far less special because I'm unique than I am special because I'm a I'm a part of everything
4: Said again that was you're far you're more
0: I'm far less special because I'm unique individual than I am special because I'm actually connected to all that it is because I'm a part of the world itself
5: Hmm
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, would. would you say that scientifically that that has that has some validity from a scientific perspective i'm not actually that unique <laughs> no no
4: right. but, that but that doesn't mean yeah that's yeah. so
0: what but what i so what i'm saying is from a from a maybe higher perspective or a little bit more real perspective i'm far less special because i'm different than others then I am special because I'm a part of everything.
2: Whereas, well,
4: its collective action is is more special. Is that like or collect, the collective being?
0: Well, I'm just saying oh. that, I, that that there's there's something special about being a part of everything.
4: Yeah. Oh yeah. No. I, that, yes.
0: And that that yeah, yeah, part yeah. of that part of me is more real and bigger than the part of me that is. Yeah. No, different. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Okay. Yeah. No. I would agree. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh. Morgan has a question. Uh-huh.
3: <laughs> I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to um to piece it together the best way that I can because it's sparking something in my mind. Um. So so far, what I'm hearing is that um scientific inquiry and Buddhist practice are based on you know findings of unconditional truth. Um, through empirical or practical observation. Mm -hmm. So the conversation that you're having right now is making me think of the teaching or the idea of dependent origination, Ah. um, which is that everything is interconnected, no being or phenomenon exists um, independently and then taking that a step further because you're mentioning the self, the teaching. Well, that would be
0: the teaching of Shunyata, which is emptiness.
3: Yeah, that right. and also it's triggering the thought of or the teaching of anatta, the no self. Mm. And I'm just wanting to know like the correlation or even where like science and Zen meet on these two particular things,
5: oh, I think
0: they're 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 uh, perfectly concordant. No, I was going yeah, to say that that's, that's in that perspective, very, yeah. they're they're no, perfectly concordant. Completely connected. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yeah. there's not yeah. like there is so uh, a lot of um, one of the greatest misinterpretations of Buddhist philosophy is uh, is with this what you brought up on Atta and emptiness, which is the a lot of people think that um, that that Buddhist teaching is trying to argue that this, that we don't exist hmm. that um, and that's actually more. Uh, there are such philosophies in the world, but those are actually more Hindu and some types types of mysticism. That like the what we experience is all uh, uh, the lila, the veil, Maya illusion, and that what we're you know certainly some of that is in some some uh, Buddhist philosophies, but most core Buddhist philosophy, it's not the the, dis- the discussion of Anatta. It, it's not. It, it's not about whether or not you and I exist. Obviously, we exist. We're sitting here having this conversation. It's about the manner in which we exist. Right? So, what's in dispute is not your existence or non existence. What's in dispute is the manner in which you exist. And what is meant by anatta and emptiness is that you do not exist as an independent entity, you are not separate from the world. Right? And here's another area where your false feeling of being separate from the universe which is false is that am I, am I off Neilberry? is that false scientifically that that that, uh, that, uh, that no being no phenomenon can exist independent of all yes, the phenomena yeah. around it
4: you are correct
0: okay <laughs> I'm correct so so that and yet most humans um, most humans first of all have a pretty constant sense that they are separate, and then second, they they base their decision making processes, their their navigation, in other words, of their lives, on that assumption. Yes, yes. And since that assumption is false, all of those decisions are based on a on a falsity and lead to all kinds of then uh, problems and issues, mm-hmm. right? And and I don't think there's any. Also, any need really to argue that uh, that the human experience is full of a bunch of issues,
4: right? That we that we
0: that we don't have troubles, right? Yeah. Yeah. That we're not a troubled being, right? That, 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 that I don't think there's much need to to argue that that we're very troubled beings, um, and that you know that that that's an aspect of of our existence. It may always be, but. I think this is one of the areas, you know, the Buddha coming from a perspective of a doctor, like diagnosing what's wrong, right? Just observing, first of all, humans are troubled, which is to say ill. Let's just say ill. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't think there's any real need to. The terminology is not important. I'm not, I,
4: yeah, I'm not, I'm not querying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't understand what you mean.
0: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're, 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 we're troubled beings yeah, as yeah, individuals yeah. and as a species. We, we have issues. Yeah, yeah. we have hey, troubles. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that a lot of other animal species don't have. Uh, they don't have the same kinds of troubles we have. If they have troubles at all. In fact, I think a lot of the troubles that we see or into in, in animals are our own projections onto their experience. And that if you were able to live life for a day as a raccoon or something... What you what you thought was a trouble in their experience isn't a trouble because, as you said earlier, their experience is limited, yeah. and they can't view that thing as trouble. It's exactly. just it's, it's just it's, life. It's, it's yeah, just exactly. it's part of their existence. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, the Buddha saying, okay, first of all, we're ill. So then, the you know the way that you remove illness rationally, empirically, is to find the cause and eliminate the cause. And so, this is one of the areas where the Buddha said this is a cause of our illness. One of the causes of our illness is that. We have this false assumption that we are a separate entity, right? There are no such thing as separate phenomenon, right? And so the problem isn't just, if we just sat around and had that false view, like that's not very relevant, just like it wouldn't be so relevant to sit around and say that the, the sun and all the stars go around the earth. It's when, as you mentioned this earlier, it's when you start trying to make decisions, when you start trying to apply. It's
4: when thoughts become actions. When, right,
0: when issues. you start m- making yeah. decisions yeah. based on that false assumption, that because those, deci- those actions have real effects. Mm. That's, that, that's what in Buddhism we would call karma, mm. right? Most The, the Western, the, I don't even like to use the word karma. Because the yeah, West—it's one of these of terms age. that the West has yeah. taken from Buddhism and just like warped and twisted to mean some kind of loose uh, comeuppance. Yeah, it's like <laughs> some kind of weird, weird <laughs> entity that ex- weird spiritual entity that exists within the universe that goes around and like pays debts, though it's not quite God. It's like a God's judge. It's like it's like really? a God that's yeah. uh, that's not sentient. Yeah. It's like just like an unsentient, unthinking kind of judge. And this is not what karma means. The Sanskrit word karma literally means cause and effect. It is a scientific term, right? It is the causal chains that create all phenomena in this universe. All phenomena in this universe from moment to moment exist riding on waves of causal chains. Very complicated causal chains that are very difficult to understand. That is karma. Full Mm -hmm. stop. Right, that's what the Buddha meant. That's what it is. Right, you can interpret that and in, in, in create all kinds of weird ethical theories about it, but that's not really where it goes. It's just cause and effect. So I don't really like to use that. But the 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 idea that that so the idea that you are a separate entity by itself is harmless. Right, but when you abs- assume that as the substratum of all your experience, and then you start making decisions based on it. And then, and then as a result of those decisions start taking action, the effects of those actions will be very real. Just like if a child comes running into my room at night and they're screaming and crying and they say, ah, there's a carrot monster in my closet, <laughs> right? The carrot monster is not real. But the effects of the belief in the carrot monster it, are very real. The fear is very real. You can measure it in the beating of the heart, in the hormones, in the body, in the da da, da. You can measure, literally measure scientifically, the effects of that false belief, yeah. even though the belief itself is not real. And then if as a result of that, w- this could get worse. If as a result of that, the, the, the p- crazy child uh, jumps out the window, and they live in an apartment building on the 10th floor. And and it's very sad. They die as a result of jumping out the window, right? That action that they took based on that false belief in a carrot monster in the closet has had now very real consequences in terms of ending their life, also in terms of the emotional and, right. and, and physical impact uh, that, the physiological impact that will have on their parents mm. and all the people that love them, et cetera, et cetera. So you can see how the, though the, the, the belief itself, the false belief itself by itself might be harmless. Right. So if I, if I start, um, you know, if I start making false scientific claims, right. Like, you know, let's take another real example, right. Uh, Based on the based on the uh, the information that they had at the time, the the Nazis' um, genetic racial genetic theories were not off. Based on the information they had, in truth, they were completely wrong. But they were completely wrong because of information that they didn't have at the time. So we know now that they were completely wrong, just like we know that the Christians who thought that the sun went around the earth were wrong, right? But based on their empirical data at the time, that's what it seems like. So the Nazis were wrong. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they were right.
5: <laughs> but, but I'm saying
0: that their conclusions, based on the data that they had, their conclusions were not irrational completely irrational they weren't just like making something up they were observing data and drawing conclusions from that data the conclusions were wrong but and but but they weren't outlandish they weren't like coming from left field they were based on empirical data in other words is what i'm saying right and so if they had just if they had just observed that empirical data made those conclusions published them in books And then 20 years later found out actually our conclusions were wrong. We were missing some information that by itself would have been relatively harmless, (laughs) but here's where the problem (laughs) happened. They started making decisions based on those conclusions, taking action based on those conclusions. And now because those conclusions were wrong, all the actions that they took had devastating effects. Right, so this is what the Buddha is saying. This is one of the causes of our illnesses: is that our assumption that we are separate, right? Our assumption that we are separate, it it, we by itself might be relatively harmless. But when we start navigating and making decisions and taking action based on a false assumption, right, that then uh, the, the 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 effects of those of those causal changes will be very real and will cause a lot of troubles for us right and those troubles are you know so this is one of the causes of our illness by illness i just mean human trouble which i don't think even there's i don't you know there's never a human that ever lived i think that would argue that humans are in trouble (laughs) right and so the buddha was 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 positing that and this is through his own experience which here's where you have to have a little bit of faith that that this that he actually it was able to uh find a way beyond the trouble. Right? That it is, in other words, that health is possible. That it is possible for a human to live free of uh of this ease on an emotional spiritual level. Right? And what he would say would be that once you're uh, emotional and spiritual self. Once your experience of reality, moment to moment, is in complete congruence with what is, you no longer will ever suffer. Right. So you you, you will have, as I said earlier, achieved peace such that no matter what happens, you're okay with it because that that is the universe no matter what happens the universe is fine with it if it's happening then the universe (laughs) is then that's natural huh yes the universe doesn't like it 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 has room for even all the so-called human trouble doesn't like on its radar it's like that it's like the it's it's akin to from our perspective the goings-on of of single-cell organisms in a petri dish Right? There are s- giant supernova explosions that are bigger than our whole solar system happening all over the universe. And the universe doesn't even... Oh, mm, mm, mm. I mean, in the sense that it has room for, th- for millions of such explosions and it doesn't care. It's not emotionally or spiritually invested in things going one way or the other. Right? It doesn't... Yeah, it right. doesn't... It doesn't... Right? It doesn't really matter... So the the idea being that when you're in congruent, when you're in harmony with nature, when you're in harmony with what is happening, right, you you cease to suffer. So the 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 fundamental um, crux of where our suffering comes from is that we argue with reality. So in other words, the Buddha is saying our source of suffering is that our experience of reality is not reality. And more importantly, that that not only is our experience of reality not reality, but that we make decisions and take actions based on those false uh, views of reality as opposed to making decisions based on reality as it is. Um, And that if we were more in harmony with the way things were, the more in harmony we are with nature, right? the the more content we will be and that that is possible because we are not separate entities because nature is as much within us as it is without us and so that those same principles and truths and and quantum mechanics literally are me they're they're, they're, whatever i'm understanding about the quantum mechanics of particles in in the huge machine in switzerland those same particles are inside of me so what the, the,
4: the yeah a lot of pursuit is determining more about ourselves at the same time,
0: right? So we we you know we can understand these things. Uh, maybe understand is not the right word, but we could we could be them, and we already are them. So the problem isn't uh, like finding a way to be them. the The way the problem is that our lifestyle has strayed from what we are. Right, basically. And that if we re- return to our nature as it is, then we, uh, then we can live more skillfully. And so you have to, there is some faith. The, the faith in Buddhism, the great faith in Buddhism is mostly um, not a faith that the Buddha discovered a way to be, live free of, of, of distress and, eat and, and Ill- illness, but faith that uh, such a way of life is possible for me. And um, and in Buddhism, we talk about three kinds of faith, which I think are also very concordant with the scientific method. The first type of faith is the faith of hearing, uh, hearing the, the we we say Dharma, which means truth. Hearing the truth, hearing the Dharma from other people who we respect, teachers or even long dead saints like the Buddha. Like reading scriptures, reading um, the great ones. Like we 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 hear that, right. That's the first type of faith. The second type of faith, and in Buddhism, it is ideal to f- to follow this chain. Just and again, I think this is very congruent with science. Neil Berry can correct me or not, but um, but so that's the first type of faith. The second type of faith is when you get you don't yet get the the, the Dharma, but you get you get the, the signs of it. So the Buddha used the analogy of like you're digging for water. You haven't yet reached the water, but you're seeing signs of moist earth like you're seeing signs that you're getting close to the to the truth that you earlier had no signs of all the only signs you had were the things you read or listened to or whatever and then the third is when you experience it yourself when you find that water and you taste it and observe it and like you know and and i think those are the types of faith in buddhism and those are the the you know, we want that progression, and I think that's that there is there is some. The language might be a little different, but I yeah, think it's very I, I, it's very congruent with the I guess it scientific would be the development
4: approach. of a theory or something over time. Well, you you, what you you mean yeah, well? Say, yeah, I mean, you like,
0: start out with like maybe reading other scientists in the past, or you go to college and you uh, kind of just accept what they teach you, exactly. And then, and then you actually start doing some research of your own, and you start getting signs yeah, that exactly. some of this is true. Yeah, exactly. and then you actually yeah. discover some yeah, 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 yeah. truth. I, and so in yeah. the same way, like we we're, we're you know we're, this is the this is the movement of faith. So there has to be some faith. You have to start, but the but the real the core of faith in 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 Buddhism is a faith that. Um, um the core there are many types of faith in buddhism um but including the more religious types of faith where we pray to things outside of us we can talk about that a little bit here if we if we want to um but the core i think of buddhist faith is faith in the possibility that you yourself can live that way and the more you begin to observe yourself the more you realize that um that the the living free of suffering isn't something just that you read about in books, but you actually have experienced it. You just maybe weren't paying attention. Um, One of the things my Zen master used to always say is, uh, everybody's enlightened in the moment right before you sneeze. (laughs) That inhalation right before you sneeze, that like right when you're about to sneeze, everybody's enlightened in that breath. Mm,
5: Agreed, agreed.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So uh, you know, maybe next time you got to sneeze, you can pay a little bit more attention, and (laughs) you might you might actually find that there's there's so there are moments in our life where we already are um, not only because nature we are nature, and so there are moments where we are we are connected, you know, and and uh, it it might since it came up though it might be worthwhile to also talk. uh, This is another place where they diverge. I think is there is within Buddhism also a a a skillful application of um, the more ordinary use of faith which is faith in powers outside of oneself um and uh zen has a very unique perspective on that too different than other than other religions uh which is basically the idea that um uh in zen we we tend to find um petitionary prayers unskillful mostly because we can't possibly understand the complexity of that causal chain that I was talking about earlier that creates the universe every moment. And so, in other words, we don't really know what is or is not good for us. Mm -hmm. And Zen is more about moving away from the part of the mind, another of the maybe um, problems or parts of our illness in us. Because remember, earlier I kept referencing that that, uh, false assumption that we're separate. And I and you may have noticed in my discussion that I was also saying that that was just one problem that we actually have problems. Like another another is is our constant evaluation of experience into positive mm-hmm. and negative, yeah. right? And then that creates all kinds of false assumptions. One, for example, false assumption is that the qualities that we perceive the 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 positive or negative qualities that we perceive in a in a phenomenon are in the phenomenon. Like that disgustingness is within durian. <laughs>
5: right, we
0: assume that. Right, du- yeah, you, yeah. even in our language, we assume yeah, it. Durian right. is disgusting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. but obviously that's not true because people. Li- there's some people that like it. So here's an, another area where. So in Zen, we're trying to get out of the evaluation. Again, if you're constantly evaluating experience into positive, and negative, how will you ever achieve peace such that you're okay with whatever happens? Right. So since we're trying to move out of evaluating experience as positive and, and negative in general, why would we make petitionary prayers? Because saying like pray- you know what I mean by petitionary prayers, I mean like asking, yeah, asking for, for sp- specific yeah, you know, things. You know, like I, I, I want to win the lotto. Yeah, yeah, like that may or may not be good for me. Yeah, that's right. right. And, and Zen's perspective is is to get away from such evaluation. So since we're not making petitionary prayers in Zen, the Zen perspective is that the the act of praying is um, the act of praying has psychosomatic benefit in and of itself and so it's kind of like going for a run you don't have to have a destination you do it because it's healthy right the goal of exercise is not to reach a place where you don't have to exercise anymore like it's not like you exercise real hard every day for three years and then you reach a space where now you're done exercising for the rest of your life the the, the, the reward of exercise is that you get to live you get to live life as a human being who exercises so in Zen, the perspective is the reward of prayer is that you get to live a life as a human being who prays, mm-hmm. and so the 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 idea being that prayer in first of all I let's say let's take myself as an example. I pray to Guanyin. Guanyin is a Buddhist uh, deity, Bodhisattva, right? First of all, the as we've been discussing this whole time, the universe is incredibly mysterious, and there are obviously forces in this universe more powerful than me. And that includes all kinds of physical forces like tsunamis and <laughs> earthquakes and etc. But it also in- includes mysteries, things that we have yet to understand. Or, you know, I, I so I'm very open-minded. But if Guan Yin was here with us in this room, she's Buddhist, so she would both agree and disagree that she she certainly would disagree that she exists as a separate entity. We've already discussed this. Uh, so the existence or non-existence of Guan Yin is a moot point. I don't care right i'm not interested in that discussion i am open-minded to the possibility that she exists right i'm also open-minded to the possibility that she does not exist however praying to her right has dramatic important uh, physiological physical psychological effects on my life that i find to be incredibly beneficial
4: well, this is well, this is what all religions go back to in a sense is that you submit yourself to some higher power huh. and they all have that in common typically and it's because of these benefits they give you that they they have that that's right. how i that's how from my perspective I look at it it's like it, do, it yeah it doesn't matter whether the thing exists or not it's the fact that you believe it exists or or you act as if it does and and by doing that it's the the processes or the things that you do or the reminders create thought patterns that are conducive to good way of living right but what's different between
0: zen and a lot of other religions is that in the other religions it's very important that the believer establish that the thing actually is real that's right and in zen there's an open-mindedness to the possibility that it's not and yet we're going to do it anyway because the reward isn't about what you actually get from those prayers the reward is like as i said with the analogy of exercise you get to be a human who prays and that 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 exercise is is somehow healthy yes 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 um, and I
3: would imagine that probably creates like new neural pathways in your brain and Well it also it also
0: uh it, it's also related to something we mentioned earlier, or I mentioned, which is when we were getting real, real deep into that real subtle point that I was making between, you know, the phenomenon itself mm-hmm. and oh, yeah. and our understanding of it, and those not being the same. And that as the phenomenon occurs in the universe, there's more going on than our understanding as well. Yes. Right, and that even your understanding—you started out by mentioning in science you have to, like, narrow your focus, because there is no unified theory that connects it on all levels. So you have to narrow down to one level and focus on that level. Whereas the phenomenon, when it's happening in the universe, it's actually happening on all those levels in yeah, some exactly, incredibly yes. complicated way. Exactly. So, um, and I said that that um, the the Western approach to mystery. In general, usually is conquer it uh, to the unknown. Is conquer, go you know, fight death, conquer death, conquer disease, conquer illness, conquer other countries, meddle with them. Go, <laughs> let's go over there and explore and control all the big empires in this world. Mostly were were, were were, were Western. Yeah, Western. <laughs> the bigger the bigger the, the biggest ones are almost all Western. Uh, and the 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 Buddhist perspective is an alternative relationship to mystery. I mentioned this earlier. And I think that that practice of prayer, um, one of the things that it can do is alter your relationship to mystery um, so that mystery is not um, not so much of an enemy. Because the, I think one of the dangers of making mystery an enemy is that it cages also the, our unconscious. Um, and we tend to do that as Western people um the, which is why a lot of indigenous people say that like western people have two selves the self that they that they think they are and pretend to be and their real self mm-hmm. uh, or not real self but their the parts of themselves that they um hide uh there so and that's and that separation causes a lot of illnesses this is where, like, you know, fetishes get real twisted up and people do really sketchy <laughs> stuff in their, you know, yeah, Leonard very Cohen has that, Leonard Cohen has that really things. beautiful yeah, yeah, yeah. song, right? In My yeah. Secret Life. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is the like thoughts you have in private, which are darker sometimes. Yeah. And I think so. So I think when you cage the unconscious, when you cage the beast, it becomes, you know, as Jung said, too much. Um, Too much animal makes for an uncivilized man. Too much man makes for a sick animal. Mm -hmm. So that when we cage that beast, it gets sick. It gets like twisted up. And so I think also that's this is one of the areas where the relationship to the mystery, to what you don't know, your relationship to it. If your relationship to it is is unhealthy, like that, one of the side effects is that then you can get into a place where you start kind of. compartmentalizing your unconsciousness and or not allowing it expression not allowing it out right the, uh, and this is why i tend to find people that have uh, strong um you you've, i think one could make a strong argument that when you when human beings have some kind of um important uh, relevant uh, daily if not weekly creative outlet uh, they tend to be more balanced human beings Mhm because they're kind of channeling that unconsciousness. They're yeah. getting it out. They're not just like fully caging it for it. Yeah. Yeah, right. So it's they're they're in a deeper connection to it. Their relationship to the mystery in other words is a little bit uh, because just as the mystery is outside of us, it's also inside of us. And and so the 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 relationship to I don't want to throw out though the enthusiasm of Like more the scientific method, which is an approach towards mystery of like, let's go conquer it. Let's go explore. Let's go like do research. Let's go understand more and let's go take that understanding and ask more questions. And like, I I don't want to throw that out. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to get away from that. But I I think that that, like, as you said, that's not a way of life. And so, you know, what I mean is that like, if you want to know, if you want to know, Uh, you know, the average amount of peaches per tree or the average amount of uh, uh, peach trees per peach garden or anything like that, then obviously a rational, like, uh, you know, intellectual scientific approach is going to give you the best results in that kind of, if you were trying to (laughs) understand the world in that way. Yes. Right? But if you want to know what the first peach tastes like on a spring morning, Right, I think that approach will, uh, at best, b- be useless, and at worst, get in the way.
4: I would tend to agree with that. <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I. It's not. It's, yeah. As, as I said before, it's not a way of life. Right. Of and that. so I think
0: both of these, both of these aspects are important to hu- to living it, a human life. Exactly. Yeah. And there ha- and, and there has to be a a, a nice. It, it's more a, of a balance. B- balance between it's finding them, a balance
4: yeah. between going either way is. Like right. as you were saying, when the two physical, two spiritual it's right. exactly it's the same way, same thing. Yeah. yeah.
0: And, and assuming that assuming ultimately it's, that reality is one or the other. It, yeah, yeah. That that the real truth is some spiritual place, and that the physical is all false or that the real truth is that everything is just stuff and it's all kind of meaningless and pointless that also is is uh, inadequate it's not it, it's it's inadequate even scientifically inadequate because there's more than just stuff there's you know which you could explain this much deeper than us but you know if the e equals mc squared like it's not just matter the matter is made of energy and the energy is moving right it's all moving really it's more and that might be more you started out this whole conversation when you were describing what you do you used the word you when you were talking about particle physics you used the word fundamental you used yes. the word foundational fundamental so um and and so i would argue that the energetic level is more fundamental than the physical level
4: mm you see, the, the problem is when we come up against some jargon terms—is what, what you mean by energy and what I typically mean by energy, or the interaction, like the the energy level or the. the part, sub, let's, yeah. let's
0: say the the not the level beneath the physical, between the Newton beneath the Newtonian.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: The 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 quantum level, basically.
4: Oh, okay, yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah the, on the quantum level, it's it's not it's not stuff, it's moving.
4: Yeah, I, yeah. I think yeah, this is similar to a discussion we had before. Whether you're applying a model to something to understand how it's acting or the actual flow of that thing happening. Well, this is another yeah, this is
0: another instance where yeah. I think where I think um, a false assumption about reality by in and of itself is not problematic, but when you start making decisions or act taking action based on it, you can mm-hmm. result in unskillful uh, behavior, which is also assuming that the world is is uh, is is all nouns objects, right? And that that assumption you know that assumption also is is uh, misleading it's not completely false but it's misleading it's
2: well, not yeah, the they, whole of the well, story
0: it, I didn't it, say the theory it, it, was I didn't say the idea that everything is is stuff is completely false I said it's inadequate yeah it's yeah. incomplete
4: well, it, yeah, yeah, it, 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 it's like when you it's like what you say with the nouns like the the a lot of that comes to, down to the way in which you're using that language too. Like when you're yes. saying a noun and you're being lazy or non-nuanced about what you mean, like it, or understanding the full meaning behind that. I just, I mean, you were talking to someone yesterday when the idea, when you say a forest, huh. like if someone just said a forest and you go, oh yeah, a forest, like you, you're you dumbing it down to just that idea. But it's actually... we. But if you actually... When you think about the idea of what an actual forest is, you know, like when someone says a forest, you know that it's this vast, complicated ecosystem of intermingling of different species and all that sort of stuff. And yes, we have a convenient word for dumbing it down. But even that's but
0: inadequate because there's a quantum level too. No, that's right. Yeah, yeah It's yeah. also a bunch of subatomic I mean, energy yeah. moving and, and flowing through each other.
4: Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and you've got to... But it, it, what matters is whether you're cognizant of that when you're using this terminology. Well, even if you're...
0: But my point... But now, now we're getting to another way of talking about something I've been hammering on this whole conversation, mm-hmm. which is that... Even if you include all the nuances that we know, there's still a whole infinity oh, yeah. of nuances oh, yeah, beyond yeah, yeah, that yeah, yeah, even.
4: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course. Of course. <laughs> right. Of course.
0: Which is yeah. the mystery. Yeah, that's, that's what right. I'm calling mystery. Yeah, no, I understand. Yeah. Yeah. Like that's the that's the uh, so not only is a forest a whole giant ecosystem of of uh of species and and the interaction of soil and minerals, etc. But on, then it's on the quantum level; it's a whole bunch of energy moving around in subatomic particles, and and those particles aren't a particle. Also, is just a, uh,
5: it's a an a idea. They it's are also waves. Yeah, they are yeah, yeah. also movement. Yeah, 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 And
0: and so um, when you, especially when you include time, then they're certainly moving. They're certainly not particles. They're certainly you know movement and energy and and but even if you when you say forest even if you include all of that there's still within forest itself there's still there's still infinitely more in the in the in the foresting of the forest than there is the, in 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 all of the human uh, understanding together So there's still and that whatever the remainder is is mystery, yeah. Right, the remainder is just mystery. Some of that mystery we might figure out someday, and but some of it not ever figure out. But again, the what we don't figure out is due to our own limitations, not to the forest. As the forest, as the forest, forests, it's missing. It's missing nothing.
4: That's right. Yeah. No.
0: That's it's right. our understanding that's missing something, not the forest the forest foresting is fully foresting it's The universe not m-
4: would exist independent of my science right <laughs> exactly yeah, yeah right.
0: and so the the forest is is fully foresting in 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 its in its yeah in its uh, expression it it contains all of of what it means to forest right it's yes. our it's our it's our understanding of foresting that is limited right and so foresting itself the phenomena is different than the, than the concept forest.
4: Yeah. 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 Of course. Even if you
0: include, even if you don't dumb it down and you include every possible thing that we understand about forest, that's still not forest, Mm -hmm. right? That's still just a map. Yeah. And so it's still a limited, limited map. And, and so the, you know, yeah, this is, this is, you know, some really cool kind of philosophical stuff. And, um, I think a lot of the places where we're getting to concordance is that, you know, in Zen and science, both we're trying to explore and understand truth. Maybe one difference is that Zen is then, then trying to, play, to apply that to a way of life and to healing some of the um, problems and sufferings in human existence. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, and, 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 and I wouldn't say science doesn't do that either because the, the science certainly can be applied to well, it's relieving to things, but yeah, it can not be utilized, well. utilized, yeah, utilized right, to, yeah. to, to, uh, relieve suffering and make yes. life better, like, and more comfortable for humans, you know? Uh, but, uh, I don't, so
3: then I Zen can just be the science of the mind.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's one way of looking at it. Certainly, you know, um, and, uh, the, the science of the mind by the mind, mm-hmm. as opposed to the science of the mind in terms of like psychology, which is like a, a study of other people's mind, again, trying to use more objective Well, yeah, the, external, yeah, the main difference is, is
4: that subjective or objective. The, the, yeah, the inclusion of the experiential. Yeah, exactly. That's that's the main difference. The, the
0: inclusion of the subjective. Yeah. Um, which, you know, yeah, but that's that. The, the, then you get into also a real fundamental uh, philosophic, philosophical debate, which is... You know, can any science really not include the subjective? Is it possible, right? And it, it's yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. It, it, that's a deep. That's deep philosophy about empiricism itself. Yeah, it's, uh, maybe another podcast. And another <laughs> that'd be another that'd be maybe another another podcast. Yes, but I I think that the 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 one of the strong points that I want to make is that I don't um, you know, I, I think it's unhealthy first of all to make a separation between spiritual and physical. I think that the the real the truth of reality is what it is is my point when i was talking about the forest foresting and if we write theories about the for, for the way the forest is foresting that are based on spiritual principles or physical principles or scientific principles all of those all of those ideas and concepts will never equal the forest foresting in, in in and of itself. And so that's what Zen is means by get to one reality. Mm-hmm. It's like pointing at that, which is to say what Zen is doing is, is what a lot of traditions fail to do, sometimes even science, which is to acknowledge its own limitations, to say, hey, this Zen thing is not it. One of my favorite Zen sayings is that Zen is a stall selling water next to a river. In other words, all the teachings of Zen are nothing compared to the experience experiential observations that it's pointing towards like it's saying hey go observe these things right just like a photograph of the northern lights will never compare to actually going and seeing the northern lights so any kind of um, practice or book or scripture or teaching or or robes or malas or whatever it is that you're calling zen buddhism any kind of practice will never equal the mountains there's no You know, everything that we've learned about this world, whether it's Zen or science or anything, we've learned from observing the world, right? And we've learned it from the world, in other words. Exactly, yeah. So the world is the greatest book, not uh, Einstein's book, not any scientific textbook, not any Zen textbook. There's no Zen textbook or science textbook or library of books. There's no library that compares to the universe itself. The universe is the library, and all those libraries are derived from observing it. Um, and so that's what zen is saying is like you know go to the source this zen thing the finger pointing at the moon is not the moon is another famous zen phrase like don't get stuck in the finger don't get stuck the buddha said this often right my teachings are a raft take them to the other shore don't carry the raft around don't another way we say this we see it got all kinds of phrases for this zen has celebrated this so long that there's a Thousand such phrases. Another one, I, I burn the verses in my bag, but the ones that remain in my gut remain for the rest of my life. Another is the, you know, don't make the medicine into an illness. Don't take morphine for your migraines and then get addicted to morphine. Yeah. And then the, <laughs> the medicine becomes an illness. So don't allow this system of Zen itself to impair your, uh, you know, don't get so stuck in the form that you miss the spirit or you miss what's what the what is pointing towards you look at the finger and not at the moon you get stuck and so the same could happen in science you could mistake your you could mistake what you've written down on the whiteboard or in the book for the phenomenon itself
5: an example that i use relative to tea
0: there's here's an example that i use relative to tea um something i talk about which is is caffeine people talk a lot about caffeine but um in, in, caffeine doesn't exist in nature caffeine exists either as an isolate in a laboratory and even then it can not be a pure 100% isolate even if you isolate it down to 99 right it's not like it it doesn't exist in nature it exists only as a concept because in nature caffeine is bonded to the substances around it it's not sep- again this is back to what i was saying earlier no phenomenon is separate right and so what Caffeine is bonded to influences the way caffeine behaves.
4: Yes, yeah,
0: yeah. Right. So in nature, caffeine is not.
4: It's not exists in a different state to what it does when you condense it. When you conceptualize it, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, of course.
0: Yeah, which is not to say that the conceptualization of it, the isolation of it, conceptually. Is not true or important or doesn't result in would, very important understanding. You, it would
4: teach you about how the caffeine acts in the natural things, but it doesn't right. necessarily tell you exactly how it interacts when it's in. Right. The- so
0: that exercise of isolating it and exploring what it does is very powerful. That we're getting into the scientific method, and it's the most, as I said, the most powerful method for exploring and understanding reality that we've come up with as human beings. I'm fully on board with that. But what I'm what I'm what I'm saying is that one of the dangers is that you and this is back to my stereotype that I was saying earlier this is you know this is just what I'm saying one a potential danger let's leave the stereotype out and, yeah. and forget how many people are actually doing this but a potential danger is to, is to make the false assumption that your um that your understanding of it is it right when actually what you've done is you've it's like, it's like any causal chain. To, order, uh, to understand a causal chain, we snip it out and we put it on the whiteboard so that it's simple. Cause, effect, cause, effect, yeah. one simple little chain. And that doing that, that exercise is very important. So I'm not dismissing it. That's, I'm the opposite. I'm celebrating it. The, the ability to do that is incredibly important. It's, it's fundamental to everything that we are and create, our ability to isolate causal chains, right? But that conceptual isolation also, one danger is assuming that that is real. When actually, when that causal chain was happening in nature, it was connected it was infinitely by, yeah. to other causal... Like in the, in the concrete, if I was to create the, a book the size of the universe... And list all the infinite uh, conditions for Neil Berry to exist as he exists right now, right? Perfectly, in the concrete, right? I, I One of the conditions of, of the infinite conditions would have to be that in order for Neil Berry to exist as this Neil Berry, exactly as he is right now, one of the conditions would be that he is the Neil Berry in the room where the T-Bowl is precisely right here. And so when I do this, I've just shifted the conditions that made you exist exactly as you were, and so you no longer exist in the same form. And so this is again, this is another way of exploring the the what Morgan brought up, the Buddhist term of of, of emptiness or shunyata, is to say that the the independence of any phenomenon is emptied into its conditions infinite conditions it's emptied its separateness is emptied into the infinite conditions that are needed for it to exist which is to say that that causal network is very 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 complicated it's so complicated that part a big part of what our scientific advancement is is that as in that process of isolating causal chains and exploring them individually as our as our understanding grows as our technology grows we come to find that what previously was a a, a a separate causal chain that was previously too subtle for us to even observe. We now start to be able to observe it, and it's and it's its effects on this other causal chain, right? And then we we realize that that as we move from the gross to the subtle, that its effects are not are big, like actually large. That oh, wow, these little subtle influences are actually having large effects, especially when you add up a lot of them.
4: Yeah, that, that's yeah, that's the progress of all science, really. Right. It's like constantly getting from this crude approximations and slowly refining your methodologies and your explorations to try and get to see those more subtle perturbations and
0: right. And so effects. to get to move from a view of um, of of causal lines to causal networks. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I understand what you yeah, mean. Yeah yeah, 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 It's
4: the same it's the same way. Yeah, for example, yeah, if you take a small event out of the causal link, you can analyze it and you can see, oh, if I have these exact conditions and I do them over and over again, this is how it will happen. But right. it doesn't necessarily tell you how that thing will play out. Right. If good, you change the initial conditions. Well a good a
0: good yeah. example of this, I don't know if you've read any um, have you ever have you read any of the um Biological criticisms against the Linnaean tax- taxonomical system. No, they exist. Okay. Um, the The idea being that this um, entrenched method of of organizing and categorizing the natural world, mm-hmm. um, according to you know genus, order, family, species, yeah, 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 all no, that, right? 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 That this that. is yeah. that this that this <laughs> that this system. First of all, again, this system is just a map. The yes. world itself is not organized along those lines. Well, right, we've made those lines yeah, yeah, yeah. to, to oh, no, describe. Yeah, it, it, it's more so, for
4: our, ourselves, right? To categorize for education and communication. It's, a, it's and, the same way. as like yes, we're all in the subcategory of human, right, but right. you can get more. You can get more precise with that. Sure. So That's, there
0: are a lot of biologists now yeah. who argue that this system of classifying organisms no longer represents our understanding of the natural world. And one of the primary, uh, one of the primary criticisms against it. Um, is related to a lot of what we're talking about now, which is the relatively modern, in fact, the relatively modern discovery of the microscopic world. And, in, you know, our understanding of microscopic organisms is is still very rudimentary. There's still a lot more we could understand. But that that um, opening that door, um, one of the main arguments for, for the... For the taxonomical system is basically that there really is no such thing as a species because, like for example, by number, yeah, yeah, you said, by it, yeah, number, ninety percent, right. By, by n- number, ninety percent, ninety of this, the cells in your body are non-human DNA. But it's not that; it's not just that. It's not that ninety percent of the cells in your body, by number, not by mass, because yeah, the be, human ones are bigger. Yeah, more, so yeah. by by number, though, ninety percent of the cells in your body are not human DNA. But that's not the fact that make that's not the fact that makes the Linnaean taxonomical system uh, potentially um too crude yeah, or yeah. not nuanced it's, enough it's, for it's our understanding for what the fact that makes it not nuanced enough is the fact that um some percentage of those organisms are necessary for your survival hmm. in other words they are you
4: yeah yeah
0: right they aren't separate yeah they, they and you are necessary for their survival there so i'm talking, about symbiosis. Symbiotic. Yeah, yeah, symbiotic I'm talking about symbiosis true. yeah i'm talking about symbiosis but not the kind of crude symbiosis of like a barnacle yeah, on a yes. whale <laughs> right a barnacle on a whale that kind of symbiosis or like bees and flowers that kind of symbiosis you can maintain the taxonom the Linnaean taxonomical system and also account for that symbiosis but when you when you're talking about m- the microscopic symbiosis right where the, the intertwining, the intertwining becomes, becomes a little bit more mushy. Yeah, it's, it's it gets really a little bit more mushy yeah. and it gets a little bit more difficult to maintain those boundaries. And so as we discover that those boundaries are not just on the microscopic level, but on all kinds of level, they're much more mushy than we thought. Right. For example, they're, they're discovering in forests that um, the big mother trees will, um, will basically feed, Uh, the other will feed other trees irrespective of species so they'll create symbiotic relationship with other trees irrespective of species the more materialistic scientific reason for this that is or the theory for this is that um the the trees all require a certain degree of humidity in order for them to survive. And it makes so sense. gaps in the forest yeah. c- reduce the humidity and change the forest floor. The tree so wants to maintain a forest. So that the tree wants to maintain is. a forest. Yeah, basically, yeah. is yeah, there, that that, that would be sense. the more materialistic yeah, that, view of, of why yeah. that's happening? Yeah. But then, but then you see, whereas where the they've actually found um, stumps that are like you know hundreds of years old and have been stumps for hundreds of years and they thought they were dead but they're actually still alive and it's because not obviously the 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 stump is not photosynthesizing it has no leaves it's being kept alive by the trees around it um so they've they've found like this kind of thing and so in that sense is that stump not you see now where it gets mushy is that stump a separate species or is it um you know is it is a, is a separate species at all if it lives like that yeah kind of yeah, yeah, yeah. in the within the and so you, basically the, what i'm saying is like the, the the yeah. the subtlety of the uh of the kind of ecological um web and the influence of of various factors on various factors right this is why you know i, I often quote uh the one of the great humans i think like you know saints of a human is who's passed away is this man fukuoka the Japanese, um, he was a biologist. He studied biology in university, but he, you know, he's re- responsible for, in, in a huge part, for the organic movement that has swept the whole world. Um, that he's he's a big part of why you and I are more conscious of sustainable agriculture than we were when I was a kid. Nobody talked about that stuff. Nobody read labels the way that we read labels now. You know, and he's a big part of that. And I wouldn't say he's solely responsible, but he's a big part of it. And and um, but he he said anyway that when he was in college he had a professor that always used to say that philosophy and religion have no place in the world of, of science. And that one day he was walking in a field of like monoculture barley, like industrially produced barley, conventionally grown barley, and he realized that science has no place in the world of barley. And what he was what, what he was talking about this is you have to contextualize this. Remember this is a biologist, he's a scientist. Yeah. So but what he was what he was talking about was monoculture. what he was talking about was the crude isolation of a of, of few causes and then assuming if you can control those causal chains you're controlling the environment when actually the environment itself is an incredibly complicated web of of balance and that when we step in in that in that when we use that he wasn't arguing against the isolation of those factors on a whiteboard so we can understand our world but again, when we start taking actions based on limited understanding, right? Based on not thorough enough experimentation and understanding, we make decisions based on a cruder, more gross understanding of the natural world.
4: Exactly. When that barley would have normally lived in some, whether basic or complex, uh, ecosystem, where right. it would have had other plants around it that would have provided certain nutrients, it would have given some back, and it would right. have been in some kind of symbiotic relationship. Right. And then, then, and then, then out, and, and then, when, it when we
0: take that out, the, when we take that out, um, we are able to increase yield, but we do so at the expense of the nutritional yeah, exactly. value right. of it's the an, barley for our body. It it, when
4: people originally ate it, they're like, "Oh, it's got these qualities, these qualities, these qualities," but it may not necessarily give those same, that same sustenance when you put it in those conditions. Right, which yeah. is
0: why, like yeah. you know, I think you know nowadays you find. Um, I, don't, I think part of this is just placebo uh but i but nowadays you find a lot of people with uh, wheat and gluten intolerance and I, I think some of that is just placebo because people are in general having a lot of digestive problems in the world and they're looking for scapegoats and when that, you can that, find no, that simple scapegoats yeah, yeah. are easy but that's i think right. but I, right. I i think also aside from the just placebo part the the, the <laughs> there is the uh there's also just the fact that um the ways in which we are growing wheat are becoming more and more, um, you know, unhealthy for us. So is it like the progression, the progression of the, the progression of, of agriculture along those lines? But here's a just this this is a, this is a really cool point where this ties everything into tea as well. I think where earlier we were talking about how a, a, a theory based on false assumptions in and of itself is not really incredibly harmful. If the Nazis had just published some papers, and because again, their, their, it's important their philosophy, the genetic part of their philosophy, what was not just some random thing that they made up, it was based on empirical data. It, it was an actual theory. It was a scientifically valid theory. It was, it was false in the end, but that didn't that doesn't mean the the hypothesis itself was not based on empirical data. And if they had just published a couple of papers that, hey, we think maybe this data leads to this conclusion, and then twenty years later been like, yep, oh, no, we were wrong. There's more data and we turned out wrong. That that in itself wouldn't have been nearly as harmful as Creating a whole government based on those conclusions, and then taking a whole bunch of actions based on it, and
4: although, although I feel like part of that would have they would have been putting some bias in when they were coming up with the results. Of course, yeah, of be, course.
0: Yeah. My point was just though that it
4: was <laughs> you know, based know,
0: on some kind yeah, of yeah. empirical they, they data. They would have taken quite skewed data, sets, should, I imagine. Though uh, yeah. some, well, that's, s- that's some, it, yeah, yeah. some, some for sure, yeah. but they, they, they certainly you know anyway no, can
4: you can come to false conclusions if you don't have full mindset. right but, but
0: my point find. is that the false yeah. theory in and of itself is not as harmful yeah, yeah, no, as making right. a yeah, bunch yeah, of yeah. actions based on it's it it's your thoughts turn into action so here's a here's a place where i think you know we can tie this all into t and it all kind of comes back which is that um you know i i i certainly feel that um i certainly feel that the some false assumptions about our environment and about our relationship to our environment um, and this is kind of what Foucault meant when he said science has no place in the world of barley. He didn't mean the scientific method. He meant our current like application of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our crude understandings of our environment have also resulted in some very unskillful decision making that like, you know, I don't know if you, there's a documentary that uh, it's actually pretty scary to watch. But, um, but uh, they've, you know, recently it's kind of come to light that the company DuPont. Has created chemicals that are now within the body of every single human on Earth, and will be. And they don't even know its half-life, so it might be you know for the next five hundred generations of human, we will all have it in us. They've essentially so, they've they've and this the in uh concentration, the amount that's I was in, gonna say, what, what,
4: the what amount chemicals. I don't. I don't. I don't it's a it's font.
0: a fluoride. It's like the it's Teflon oh it's like it's it's not teflon it's stuff that's in teflon it's a c8 i think it's called yeah okay it's some kind of fluoride yeah yeah yeah. Um, and but basically they 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 found out that in concentration it it they've proven now that it causes up to at they've at least uh, very legitimately linked it to like 10 diseases and kind of linked it to another like six so but that's in certain concentration.
4: Yeah, I assume that a right. lot of these things. That but but they but high.
0: they yeah, yeah. So it was it was near the factories that people were getting sick. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so they wanted to see like they, they wanted to see what the effect was. So they started their own. They knew they were doing this. They started their own research project. And in order to do the research, they needed to get blood that didn't have the chemical in it. So they went like one county over, and the blood had it. And then they went a few states over and it had it. And then they went to California and it had it. And then they went to the Philippines and Japan and it had the only blood that they could find without it was like uh, pre World War II soldier blood that was in some kind of database. So basically, this chemical is now in every single human being. And what it does, on, what it does on at the so the amount that you and I have, unless you grew up near that factory, so far the amount that we have has not potentially been linked to anything but it, it but that doesn't mean it isn't that, that doesn't mean it's not yeah but the but the point is that that unskillful behavior well,
4: the, the greater point is it, they, above they have, the example here right. is what they've done the, well here. first of all
0: first of all we can that first of, of all we can agree that yeah. this 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 chemical is not good for humans yeah, I, right. I, I, I don't. I don't exactly know what it
4: is, but, but I would no. Admit, from what you're saying, yes, yeah, it sounds well, bad. <laughs> yeah. as, a, as I
0: said, they've proven <laughs> that, that in, above a certain amount, it. How, co- how did
4: it spread to everyone?
0: In, air, it, air, and water. So
4: what? what, what it's incredibly. It's, what is it, this? What is this company making? Is it Dupont? Yeah, what,
0: uh, they make all kinds of stuff. But they basically the the story is really terrible. But it has also light in it. It kind of the documentary, um, which is called "The Devil," the devil we know. It's a beautiful documentary, and it actually has, um, though the though it's mostly scary and sad. It has a positive thing too because there's like a there was a class action suit hmm. by the pe- local people, and they settled out of court for like three hundred fifty million dollars. Oh, wow. And this hundred and fifty people that sued them, so they each have a potential to walk away with like twenty five million dollars. And here's where the human spirit we see the other side of the human spirit because it's human greed that caused this toxification yes, yes. of the entire species, right? At a certain level, this chemical is certainly toxic. At low levels, it it may not be toxic, but it's certainly not great to be in our body and our children's body for a <laughs> it'd long time. Be
4: better not to have it. Right? It'd be better
0: not to have it, yeah, right. be to have it yeah. basically. And so, but those 150 people—imagine g- getting 150 people to do this to agree. Those 150 people all gave up their 25 million dollars and devoted the whole 350 million to um, research to connect this chemical actually to disease. And if it turned out that it was was connected to a disease, then everybody who got that disease ever would be able to sue DuPont. Yeah, that's right. But yeah. if it was found to not be conclusive, they can't ever sue again because they've settled yeah. and they've lost the money now. And so everything's done. So it was a risk for them. And getting 150 people to agree to give up $25 million that's for the tough. good of humanity. Yeah, that's tough. But that Super shows great. the brightness yeah, also yeah, of yeah, our yeah. spirit. Yeah, That greed caused this. But then you have this whole other side yeah. of light. So they did it. It was the largest medical uh, research project ever conducted. Um, and they did. They linked it with a bunch of diseases. And so now um, du- DuPont settles roughly, like, I don't know. I don't remember. They said in the documentary, I don't I really don't remember, 100 or 1,000 or some X number amount of lawsuits per year they settle, usually for like $1.5 million. But the, their profit, their annual profit is hundreds of billions of dollars. So settling yes. $100 million worth of suits a year is nothing to them. And, and the FDA stopped them from creating that chemical and they closed the factory and opened another one in... That one was in like Kentucky or something. I don't remember. Uh, near Ohio, actually, near the south part of Ohio. And they, they closed that and then they opened another one like in Georgia or something to try to create a similar chemical that's like <laughs> it's, just slightly... Like they just completely the don't care. But this kind of... So you can see where this kind... This is... This kind of behavior is why some people say, like, I, like I'm like i against science. This is why people, people no, are like, I, I, I'm opposed to- No, I completely to, understand
4: the backing of, of why people say those things. And I still grew up, but, listen,
0: I still grew up in the 70s. There was still, like, advertisements in the form of billboards, magazines, commercials on TV for DuPont, which is one of the biggest companies in the United States, that literally had the byline, like, um, you know, chemistry for a brighter future like it literally that was the byline on their advertisement (laughs) like chemistry for a brighter future i I certainly do not want to throw out chemistry what a wonderful science and it has done certainly a tremendous amount of good for for the human species right but it's also the it's not chemistry but the unskillful application of the conclusions of of chemistry have also caused us a lot of problems yeah right and so this is this is back to my point where like this is where i th- this is where i think we can conclude right this is something i'm always saying right this is my hope and my future right which is that as i've stated uh, instead of taking the view that the sci- that sci- like being anti science let's go back and re- let me repeat that the scientific method is the greatest method for exploring and understanding reality that we have hu- as humans have come up with we might come up with a better one later but for now certainly the best <laughs> and potentially the best we ever will come up with right so let's start with that but let's you know imagine if you can imagine the potential of the human mind and the scientific method steered by wisdom right imagine what we could do with with the, with our technology and power and ability to create infrastructure and all that That's if we if we applied it if we applied wisdom to it yeah. if it flowed out of goodness if instead of greed, we created and built and explored out of m- m- more pure science, like a, a science for the sake of knowledge, not science for the take sake of military advancement, not science for the sake of corporate advancement or the advancement of, or or getting one particular dude a bigger house or more access to sexual resources or financial resources or natural resources or whatever it is he wants, but started thinking in terms of of many generations of our species and how we improve the human existence itself and how and and so if it was motivated by wisdom our exploration and by pure desire to know uh, imagine what we could possibly do and this is where i get to where science needs zen because if the let's let's not let's make it not zen buddhism and let's just say uh, you know, so that we don't get into some kind of sectarianism and just say like, um, let's just call it spiritual truth or wisdom, right? When the meditative mind, that's what I started out saying Zen was. When you add the meditative mind to all of the, when you add the meditative mind to the, those humans who are paying for all that corporate or military greed, you take away that corporate and military greed. When you add the meditative mind to the scientists themselves, you you create not only better, uh objectivity and ability to observe, but you create an incorruptibility so they are not influenced by that money and and political power and things, etc. And so when you add the meditative mind to the uh to all of this dynamic, you get an incredibly different future. And this is why the Buddha said you can measure the peace and prosperity of any society by the amount of individuals in that society Practicing meditation, and remember earlier I started this conversation that saying for the purpose of this conversation, my definition of Zen is the meditative mind. So in other words, I'm saying you can measure the prosperity and peace of a society by the amount of Zen that's in it, right? So the amount of Zen as meditative mind, the amount of meditative mind that is that is that is uh, within the human beings and guiding their behavior and this doesn't have to also right this is where we can take out the sectarianism and we can leave people their christian beliefs and their muslim beliefs and their hindu beliefs right you can have there's nothing about meditation and the meditative mind that you know as my my first teacher my root guru is sachin aryan goenka he always said right you can't say if you, if you make meditation out of breath you can't say this this incoming breath is buddhist or muslim or hindu and this uh, and so the observation of breath and the meditative mind that results is it, it, it's it's moot which which view, religious view you have that meditative mind in and of itself and the effects that it can have on human beings when you add up a bunch of human beings meditating you have a society that's meditating and then when the society is meditating then you know we start exploring uh, right this is where we talked about earlier the, the topic for another another podcast another day is the you know can you ever do science fully objectively. You know, I would argue you can't one hundred percent know because the human is always there, right? There's, there's, always, there's, someone interpreting, there's always someone yes, interpreting, yeah. even if it's just a teeny teeny percent. And so, and so, whether it's a teeny percent or a large percent, changing the human at the center of the scientific research, let alone the application of that research technologically or politically or socially, right? If you change the humans that are doing the research, and then you also change the humans that are applying the research technologically and politically and socially, right? Imagine what that possibility is when the when all of that energy is being channeled towards, uh, let's just say, for you know, for lack of a better word, positive aims or positive um, ch- channels, right? That are you know, imagine just like if we. Decided. If, imagine just just on, as an experiment, a thought experiment. L- f- you know, forget the whole world for a second. Imagine if we took some really healthy wilderness somewhere that's still left, right? I don't know, in Colorado, and we decided to create a city. Um, and we had infinite resources. Some, the world's first trillionaire gave a, said, "Here's a blank check," <laughs> right? and he brought in all the scientists and 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 there's only two criteria like number 1 all the scientists involved all the builders involved all the everything from the lowest construction worker to the engineer to the scientist everyone involved had to meditate 2 hours a day and sit 2 10 day deep retreats a year throughout the entirety of the process of building the city that's that's criteria number 1 and criteria number 2 the city itself must be built with the aim of being fully in harmony with nature, and for the good of many, many, many generations of humans. So every project in that city would be designed towards bringing maximum sustainability and health to the maximum amount of human beings. And not the maximum health and sustainability to the maximum amount of human beings alive now, but to maximum health and sustainability to the maximum amount of human beings into the future forever. So that's its aim in other words create a city that will keep humans healthy for as long as possible right and that has built into it adaptability so that it could also grow and 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 change as our understanding improved but always along those lines right and i think even now most humans when you ask them to do that thought experiment like i when i do that thought experiment not only do i say cool but i actually i actually and i'm not even an engineer or a scientist or an architect i actually can how ha- i actually can create real visions of what parts of it would look like i mean do, when when i asked you to do that thought experiment do you ha- are you able to like see any part of it i can
4: yeah yeah, yeah. It, it stimulates the imagination right
0: i can i can't see all of what it would yeah, be all but all i thoughts. can like there's aspects of it that i can see like, fully, you know, there's aspects of, of it that I could see. Like, I, I, in my mind, I can see a lot of green. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> right. And yeah. I can see uh, a, a more, um, a greater inclusion of, of plant and animal flora and fauna into the construction of the city. Um, I can see more shared infrastructure. Mm. Yeah. Less individual transportation and more like, Public transportation. Yep. And, pu- and you, you know, even this is just one teeny area. And then I'm done with this thought experiment, you know, for the purpose of this conversation anyway. Mm-hmm. Right. Potentially, potentially, especially starting from scratch with our with a city like this where you're starting from scratch. You're not building on yeah. existing infrastructure, but you're starting from scratch. Potentially, public transportation could be, many by many orders of magnitude, better than private transportation. Potentially.
4: Yeah, I, I totally agree. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah.
0: So, th- like, you, and and I would yeah. I would think that would be an aspect of yeah, yeah, yeah. such a city. There would be more, you know, um, because I think part of 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 human health is is uh, social interacting, and the more healthy that happens, and if all those humans creating that city were all meditating, they would want that. So there'd be more, um, there would be more, a little bit more communal space. Yeah, I was gonna say community minded. A little bit more communal space. Yeah. A little bit more shared space. Yes. Uh, a little bit a little more um, space designed to encourage uh, dialogue and connection between with the other humans that you live with, as opposed to you know living next door to people and not knowing who they are, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. So that's that's where that's the ultimate like you know for me that's where I see the like real harmony is that these things you know as a part as a part as opposed to being like separate domains of our lives, science over here and Zen over here. This is a you know this is a way in which you know we have to we have to you have to start by understanding that science is conducted by human beings, and that it's then human beings that take the conclusions of that research and apply it socially, politically, and technologically. And so, if the human beings that are doing the research and if the human beings that are applying the research all have the meditative mind, all have Zen, um, irrespective of their views of the world, because Zen doesn't have any dogma or doctrine. Not pure Zen. It's just the meditative mind. If you introduce the meditative mind into that whole process, from the research, from the researcher to the politician, to the you know social scientist, to the uh, ones creating the technology, when you add that dimension to all of that, I think um, very positive things start to happen. Right, and this is ultimately where I see the greatest congruence between the two.
4: I, I, yeah I, I would agree with pretty much everything you said this and yeah oh, good i i might i would imagine have similar imaginings yes
0: yeah. and would you also agree that even even before the political and social and technological application that even the researcher themselves benefits from yeah a meditative mind
4: that. i would definitely think that yes yeah yeah
0: wonderful i this is wonderful <laughs> I, I hope we can do I hope we can do more such podcasts like this um you know it's such an important topic and i and you're such a brilliant brother too i really want to thank you for um, neil barry flew here from japan to participate in this podcast and i um i i really love neil barry so i'm really happy to just spend some time with neil barry but i'm also uh very grateful that he came in like you know came and shared some of his time and and his brilliant beautiful mind and um and uh, that we were able to um highlight some of the ways in which Zen and science maybe uh, diverge and some of the ways that they are very, very congruent and some of the ways that they could even work together towards a towards a better future, uh, both in terms of like on an individual level, like as you yourself a scientist, like you are a scientist. And so in, like in the life of Neil Berry, I think Zen has a place. Am I overstepping if I say that?
4: No, you wouldn't be overstepping. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it does. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And then I think it has a place. It in, has in, a place in society, in, in society yeah. and science in general. I think as yeah, well. Definitely. So um, I, I really like the the kind of place where we've landed. I think it's a good good place to to uh, to, to stop for now. And and I just want to thank you very much for
2: coming. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> definitely, material for many more podcasts. <laughs> and yeah, if we sorry. had more time, we would continue. But. Um, I want to definitely thank you both of you for this fascinating conversation. I thoroughly enjoyed it and I hope our our listeners did too. In the future, maybe we can continue this discussion. Um, Thank you so much for listening and we hope to meet you next time on Life of Tea.
1: If you have enjoyed this episode, then please help us reach more people by sharing this podcast with your friends and family. Your comments, likes, and shares will go a long way and are deeply appreciated. If you would like another way to support this project in our free tea center here in Miali, Taiwan, please sign up for our ad-free magazine that we publish every month. It covers all aspects of tea from processing and brewing techniques, history, lore, spirituality, and community. It also comes with a tin of beautiful, sustainably produced tea. To subscribe, go to GlobalTeaHut.org. If you would like more information on linear topics, such as brewing techniques, please feel free to check out our YouTube channel, also called Global Tea Hut.